let's get this kicked off. Court's now in session. Um, welcome to, so it's, uh, I'll probably, for the intro, probably have, like, some sleigh bells jingling and maybe the sound mm -hmm. of, like, falling snow, because that makes a, a loud sound. Children caroling. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just uh, thunk, screaming thunk, and running. Thunk as these 60-pound <laughs> snowflakes hit the ground. Um... <laughs> Yes. So, so this this is the Cinema Excelsior <laughs> holiday special. Um, Extravaganza. Yeah. And, uh, it is not oh, it is oh, not oh. a coincidence, or perhaps it is because I just realized it that uh, George Lucas is joining us for our holiday special too. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so just around the horn, real quick, uh, we have Daniel Watson Jones. Hey. He is tonight playing the part of Huey. Uh, Baby Mr. Huey. Mr. Derek Long. Hello! Who is tonight playing the part of Dewey? Uh, Nick Bester. Ho, ho, ho! Who is play, playing the part of Louis? Awesome. Patrick Regan. I'm curious to see where I'm going. You're playing Fooey? the part of Fooey. Dang it. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe you gave Fooey to Patrick and not Nick. Yeah. I know. I thought for sure Nick would want to be Fooey. And I'm Stephen Claypool, and I'm playing the part of Gooey. <laughs> okay. And we, we are all... Louis's uh, the green one, right? Uh, we're all nephews of Uncle Scrooge. Uh, Patrick and I uh, died before the first episode of DuckTales. And that's why <laughs> Huey and no. Dewey are wearing our hats in commemoration. Just to be clear, are, did we die before the first episode of the original series, DuckTales, or did we die in the new slightly darker reboot? <laughs> uh, are, are, they, are they in the same continuity? No, they're in different continuity. And in fact, the death yeah, of you, Dewey and Louie's mother is a major plot point. I don't know how to series. deal with oh, wow. Have you seen any of the new DuckTales? Because Huey, Dewey, and Louie are all like 45. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how ducks age. I mean, for all I know, it's uh, like, I, I can't. The average I, duck lives about 300 years. Yeah, I, I, I don't cotton to post-crisis DuckTales. Right. <laughs> Uncle Scrooge is frequently referenced as being like near 100. So, yes. Mm, nice. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, now, so, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Fooey is the name for when the comics yeah. artist accidentally draws a fourth duck, right? Yes. I believe that's what, what who Fooey is. <laughs> yes. Because yes. every, every so Fooey, often I they'll just mistake. accidentally draw four of them. I don't know who Fooey is. <laughs> I mean, if you had to draw three ducks like 700 times for one job, <laughs> you yeah, no, probably word. make a mistake. Every so often, you, you know. Yeah, you gotta it's, draw. It's when he's draw. taking Ambien and he's just drawing panels <laughs> in his sleep. Look, uh, I'm the Disney animation methods were different back then. <laughs> they mostly well, involved drugs. That's a Rambo. I, mean, I think I think I think is more a relic Sorry, of like so the Donald Duck uh, comic books, so not the uh, not the animation. Uh, no, yeah, that would have been the Carl Bank when Carl Banks basically just yeah. like accidentally drew a fourth duck because he wasn't paying attention. Carl yeah, Marx is an. Yeah, it's Bart. Oh, sorry, yes, not thanks. Anywho, um, yeah, so this this is the Cinema Excelsior <laughs> Holiday Special, and today we are talking about <laughs> Howard the Duck. Now, a different Disney duck. Now, how are you? Yeah, let us pause oh, yeah, for a second. You you may you may be thinking, wait a minute, didn't these guys already record Howard the Duck? Did they forget it and are now slamming it in to a totally inappropriate place in the timeline? <laughs> no, dear listener. Uh, go back to episode one and you'll find that we did indeed record an episode and release it about Howard the Duck. Uh, but I just listened to it. I like the implication that we could record an episode and then not release it. It would be <laughs> 
We, we, we set such a high once. standard of quality. <laughs> Our quality control is very high. We did have an episode where Patrick didn't actually was it hit record. Oh, yeah, actually was didn't that hit record. It, it might have been, actually. He didn't hit record, and we had to edit him out of the episode because he just Kevin sent Spacey a long audio file. I, I also just listened to episode one, and aside from the, uh, the amazing prediction that Nick made, uh, I like his other prediction that Electra is probably the film that he was looking forward to the least. <laughs> I, I could tell. I so the, knew at that point. Yes, I was. So I was reason. amazed. I was not right as to the exact extent, like the exact yeah. content of the scene, but I was fucking balls balls uh, to the wall accurate on what we they can talk about this later. But Electra is actually not the one I hated the most of all the ones we've had to watch. <laughs> so the reason that we are doing this now, though, is if you listen to that original recording, um, you may notice that it was in fact only Nick Bester and I on that. It, it was a two-man show then. Only, and, only our dulcet tone. Yes. And you and still had to cut out a big chunk of it. We did. We did that. Yeah, there's a, there's a weird like, <laughs> five-second gap yes. in the middle. I don't know. I don't know if that's where Dooge got on to talk about the sewer Jew or something, but... <laughs> oh, God. Where's the sneeze? God damn it. No, that was when you cut out all the, the duck sex talk, wasn't yes. it? Well, huh. yeah, yeah. The, the Do most... you still have that clip somewhere? The original well, I recording? Might I might. Because <laughs> I you should include that on this release. Oh, Jesus. Or oh, yes. Just yes. Standards standards have fallen so much in the last, uh, so last four years. Um, <laughs> the standards are real did... different. I at the very least send it to us so that I could hear it. I don't I don't mm -hmm. I didn't remember None any of, of our conversation. I'll, I'll see uh, if I can I'll see if I can find it. Um but yeah, so four years ago, more than four years ago now, Bester and I watched and recorded this. But uh, Has it really been that long? It has been. We started in twenty thirteen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it was twenty thirteen, yeah, the year before uh Guardians I just came moved out. to Los Angeles, yes. There you go. We were all young and hopeful. God. Um <laughs> But uh Dooge, Derek, and Patrick uh, we're not uh, not part of the cast in the pilot episode, and so we. Well, I to... was. I I just remember my. Yeah, yeah, you're. I was moving died. into a new place where I live and have lived for four years. That was the first day I moved in, and also the previous roommate, whose room I was moving into, had not paid the internet bill, mm. and so it was the first because I'd been over here a couple times in the previous week, and the the internet had been cut off that day. Mm. So I had no access to internet on that one day. So now we're, we're coming back around because we wanted, uh, we wanted Dooge, Derek, and Patrick to be able to, uh, as a holiday treat, uh, share oh. their thoughts on Howard the Duck and be able to... It, this is basic. So this was our original vision in George Lucas parlance. And now we're going <laughs> back to retroactively uh, create it. Uh, yeah. In an attempt to recapture our uh, our dreams before they became broken. The special editions. The special so, editions. We we wanted to break them again, so we want to So I want to start off as a just as a table setting piece here. I wanted to look at George Lucas's filmography. Yes. Real quick, because I, I wanted to look at films that he had either served as director, writer, or producer on prior to this. So. THX 1138, American Graffiti, mm -hmm. Star Wars, mm -hmm. more really? American Graffiti. Mm -hmm. uh, he produced the Kurosawa film, uh, Kagemusha. I did not oh, know that. that. I didn't know that. Uh, the international version, he brought it abroad. Uh, oh, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Body Heat, Return of the Jedi, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Labyrinth, and then Howard the Duck. 
This, so this is before Last Crusade. Yeah. But th- this film represents the breaking of one of cinema's great hot streaks of all time. And not just the breaking, but the utter demolition. Yeah. I mean, we talk, we talk in that first episode a lot about how this is, this is peak George Lucas. This is George Lucas at, like, the height of he can do fucking anything he wants in this town. I'm mm-hmm. fucking George Lucas. And he decides that he wants to make a movie about an obscure duck character. Mm-hmm. So and when did when did Temple of Doom come out? Eighty four. Eighty nine. Eighty four. Oh, t- Temple of Doom. Sorry, Temple of Doom was eighty four. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, and wasn't he getting divorced? Weren't he and Spielberg both getting divorced during Temple of Doom? Or yes. Just before that. So this yeah. is one of his post, like very early post divorce films. This is the fun yeah. intersection mm-hmm. between a man who is in the process of losing everything. A man who might naturally be in the midst of a midlife crisis, and yeah. a man who has amassed such a success record that no one can say no to him in this moment. Yeah. What could yes. go wrong? And people would continue to not be able to say no to him. Yes. For, so you, would, you could yeah. consider this like the apex years. of the trajectory. If he were a, a missile fi- fired in the air, mm-hmm. the at the apex, and then he starts to go down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Down towards uh, the prequels. Though... Though we, I mean, we should we should point out that, uh, that he is not the director of this. Willard Hewick, Hewick. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It sounded uh, like a is, duck sound. It's like Hewick. Who apparently had like small roles. He like was a he was a like a uncredited writer and worked on uh, Temple of Doom. He directed the movie Messiah of Evil. <laughs> <laughs> My, my understanding is that um, that this guy and Gloria Katz are basically Lucas's USC film school buddies. Yeah. I mean, like Lucas also Dr. doesn't. Katz? Yeah, medicine. Lucas yeah, so yeah, Flick and, Flick and Katz uh, wrote wrote the screenplay for uh, American Graffiti and Temple of Doom. No. Did, did Lucas work on American Graffiti too, or more American? Than... He was like a producer <laughs> EP. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, that's the a movie Lucas. I did not know about until Dude brought it up earlier today. Yeah. The thing about Lucas, I always have to remember, is that he doesn't actually write or direct all that much of the stuff he's associated yeah. with. Mm-hmm. He's produced a lot of it. And, and like that, and, and producing, like real producing, really is an actual thing and requires a certain yeah. level of talent. But like, well, he, he's a lot of the stuff, he, he only directed the prequel trilogy and the first Star Wars. He didn't direct any of And the Red Wings. I would I would say that this movie is actually produced very well. That it's the the the, the general aesthetic of it is probably the best thing about do you, it. Do you mean like the visually sets, produced or well, yeah like the, the visual effects, the sets, the costumes. Mm. I actually like how Howard the Duck looks. Uh it grew I, I think on me. that yeah, it's uh it, it's got that that eighties real look for being very fake oh. from like the original Ninja Turtles film, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. that, those yeah. are way better than Howard the Duck. Uh, I, I am wrong. He didn't even direct Red Tails. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I, I think another point that's... Magic? He has direct. He has only directed six movies. He has directed THX, THX. American Graffiti, Star Wars, and the prequels movies. Those are the only oh. six movies he has ever directed. I didn't know he did. I thought he had directed Strange Magic. So, Is it called Strange Magic? Yeah, that yeah. last one he did that's supposed to be like... Most, he's mostly just a producer. Yeah. So Matt, Matt and a thousand. 
And yeah. like along that along that sort of line of thought, I mean, dude, your your point about this being a quote unquote well produced film, I think it's worth noting this movie had a budget of something close to forty million dollars. Thirty three, I think, was what they said on the other time. podcast. With, yeah, which is which adjusted, say, that's that's more than the budget for Temple of Doom. Like Temple of Doom is just like to give everybody thirty million tops. Well, they have I to actually, build that giant laser to pull that real duck from another planet. <laughs> just, so, just to give everybody some context. Ghostbusters, which had come out the year before, was only thirty million dollars, and Ghostbusters is special effects Ghost- heavy as shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah budget special effects films in the eighties are like thirty million, insane. like 30, yeah. 35 million. Um, so this is this is highly produced. Yeah, yeah. Man, and you see it all on the like screen. high on drugs. Eighties, eighties high on drugs. <laughs> right? And re- released like on August first. Released on August first, nineteen eighty six. So this was uh, this was a summer tentpole film. Two years old. God. Um, all right. So the I, I guess we should start off. Um, let, let's as we do, kind of maybe talk through what this film is, what happens in this film. And uh, obviously, Bester and I will weigh in as we go. But uh, since we, we've already said our piece, uh, certainly want Dooge, Derek, and Patrick to. Uh, it, since you guys normally don't, uh, to feel encouraged to speak up. I, 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 can, <laughs> so I can start us off. Yeah, um, do it. I have to say, this movie begins in a very <laughs> compelling way. <laughs> Did you guys feel like. Duck they were really being heavy on establishing that these ducks have sex. <laughs> oh my there was, god! There was a surprising amount of emphasis on that fact. Yeah, well, yeah like yeah, rocket but, commercials. The thing that I noticed is that Howard has a a postcard from a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Then he gets a voicemail from a different girlfriend who's telling uh-huh. him to come over and have sex with him. And then he pulls out his Playboy or his Playduck or whatever. Playbill. Like, Play- this is something that's really so touched on, but like, Howard is like really sexual and is like getting they it all. real sex. Howard's a horn dog. Yeah. All of these ducks. Condom, like an, a weirdly like, gross unwrapped condom in his uh, wallet. And yeah. The, the uh, writing on that postcard, I had to write this down because it struck me so much. It said, I miss your bill pressed against mine. <laughs> <laughs> also, I find it, this is just like weird little note, but he lives in Washington, D.C., essentially the <laughs> world equivalent of Washington, D.C., right. and he's in- a marketing copywriter. I, I work as a marketing copywriter sometimes. I'm not aware that there's a lot of marketing copywriting being done in D.C., <laughs> Well, also, this is Duck, Duck D.C., certainly not. Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah. This isn't Washington, D.C. Oh, of course, Billing. Also- I also like that uh, Washington D.C. is in the United States of NTD, NTDA, the uh, Latin name for like the order of ducks. Yeah. <laughs> the there's a lot of like actually, random duck puns in that early part, but there's like one that doesn't. I make did sense not catch a lot of these. What in- was um? Am I crazy or did the did the Raiders of the Lost Ark one? Was it called like Breeders of the Lost Ark? Breeders of the Lost Swan. Okay, but what do breeders have to do with like ducks? Now I just I want to for context here this know. large scheme of puns that we see where everything is not <laughs> reference if we take that as the internal consistent like logic of this world that would be yeah. the equivalent of everything in our world being named something human something. or human yeah something. or like ape or something yeah, like right. that yeah. you know oh, it'd be like if we lived in like a in like you know man, I think man. a lot of a lot of fantasy worlds have this like Donkey Kong Island is just full of fucking Kong oh, and what was that puns. what was that again say that one more time. 
Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. <laughs> Donkey Kong. You're, you're not gonna. You're not gonna get me. I'm. I'm almost 31 years old. I'm gonna stay. Continue to say Donkey the way I've always said Donkey. I don't care. <laughs> My grandpappy said Donkey. Me pappy said Donkey, and I'll say Donkey. Uh, uh, we, we, we should say some more things about. Donkey. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, please, 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 please do. So, like, Duck, Duck World, and, and you knew this was a uh, George Lucas production as soon as you saw those twin moons yep. in the skyline. Uh, oh, yeah. just, like, just like Tatooine. I knew it I was a George Lucas production, production when the first credit on screen said, Dor- George Lucas presents. Yeah. Like, front well, and center. Well, to go back to this point about, you know, just how how much they lean on this duck fucks as like the first the first plot point here. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like it kind of makes some sense just because like this is a movie about like a, a big goofy anthropomorphic duck. There's yeah. definitely a way that I could see like if you just were told this is about like a a essentially a cartoon duck in real life, you might assume that this is a kid's movie. It might so also this is, be a good yes, warning to parents very, saying, hey, get yeah. your kids out of the theater yeah. now. This is, yeah, this 20 is a, this minutes, is go get, you can get a refund still. This is not a fun, goofy duck. This is a guy who you oh, know, is, a horn, is, is a horn dog, and he's there to drink uh, beer, and he's going to look at porn when he comes home Lights from work. a cigar. Well, I mean, so like once we once we get off of Duck World, like I no, so no, bef- Patrick, I'm not sure we're ready to get off. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me know when we're done. I mean, Duck World's only like 90 seconds of the movie, but, but it's there's an a lot. Of it's, an oddly, it's a lot. It, yeah, it's an oddly compelling 90 seconds, though. It's a right. it's a very efficiently built fictional world. It really, you know, with a shockingly large amount together of together so well. It's I mean, a, it's it, about it relies on a lot of cliches. Yep. And I, I like kind of the the uh, film noir lone trumpet soundtrack playing over the top. I actually like. I actually dig. I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but like when this movie is being kind of like a surrealistic noir, yeah. I enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Oh what if, yeah. What if this I film mean, was just a remake of the Maltese Falcon, and it all took place on Duck World? That would actually be that fantastic. Would, that would be the Maltese duck. Yeah. The Maltese duck. Yeah, heard. it's a st- Yeah, they finally get the statue, and the statue is man. <laughs> the Maltese human. It's lead. Lead. It's lead. Yeah. Lead. I, mean, I certainly, I certainly would 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 appreciate if more of this movie was on Duck World. I wish yeah. like we got to see a bit like other than like three commercials and the porn and <laughs> three commercials and four duck breaths. He's being ripped into space. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Duck World is shaped like an egg, we should mention. Yes, it's very important. Oh, is it? I forgot that. Yeah. Yes. When he's being uh, lasered away, uh, we see that. I may have not been paying attention at that point. That's I perfectly mean... all right. Four and a half I minutes mean... into the film, you'd already lost interest. Look, <laughs> Witcher 3 is not going to beat itself. Yeah. So, how, <laughs> Howard, Howard is, uh, he goes home, as any duck does, he lights himself a cigar, turns on the boob tube, pulls out his boob mags. Quite literally. And is yes. then sucked by a laser beam out into space through apartments and yes. uh, into the titles, where and a we'll... narrator intones, in the beginning, there was Howard the Duck. <laughs> yeah, it's a very odd sort of cosmology this uh, sort of Carl Sagan narrator tells yeah, us Tim about. Ro- Tim Robbins gets it immediately. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> all this dream <laughs> to find a so, duck. And, and the other, the other like... It, it, not really necessarily a famous voice, but uh, the voice of the cosmos. 
uh, is a guy named uh, Richard Kiley, who was a huge um, Broadway stage actor in like yeah, the he played 50s Jaws in the James Bond film. <laughs> <laughs> Howard the Duck Man. So. The voice of Howard himself would go on to win a Tony, actually. Playing yeah. Howard? No, he was the baker in Into the Woods. Oh. Yeah. Good for yeah. Chip. Now, yeah. I, 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 I just learned in the movie Jaws. Yeah, I want to. I want to call <laughs> back to our uh, our Jaws first episode. Films. I want to call back. Yeah, to no, our first I thought you were going to say he was the voice of Jaws in the oh. movie Jaws. Oh yeah, no, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Since we've established uh, Chip Zine, <laughs> Chip Zine is the voice of Howard. Uh, in our original episode, there was uh, a bit of a Wikipedia kerfuffle where someone was erroneously crediting uh, Max Grodencheck as the voice yes. of Howard. And I Rom, fixed it! Rom of Deep Space Nine fame. I actually went back on there, uh, on there earlier and like, checked the history to double check to make sure no one had tried to pull that shit again. <laughs> Do you think maybe it was Max Grodencheck who made the edit? <laughs> I mean, Trying to pop up his resume. <laughs> what is Max Grodencheck up to these days? I mean, probably Trek cons mainly. I was thinking about being a Trek actor. Is that once you're a Trek actor, you can make like just a really good living just going to Trek cons. It's actually yeah, super- yeah particularly particularly if you're a major one like that, you know, yeah, or at least sort of a second tier one, you know. If you're if you're somebody more than I was in one episode of Next Generation, you might go, oh, okay, but you know, yeah. Rom's a pretty important character. Yeah, yeah, no, he had entire episodes based around him. He he yeah. he had FaceTime. He's the fucking Grand Nagus for welcome sake. welcome to Romcast. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of speaking of uh, turn it into a rom com. Speaking of uh, podcast formats that we never followed up on, that first episode includes me trying uh, to remember the plots of diehards off the top of my head. Oh, and yeah. that was a that was a stick we did not keep well, going. It's it's, uh, it's it's Christmas time, Nick. What's the give us a diehard plot? Uh well, I, the thing I noticed was I kept calling. I was describing the plot of Live Free or Die Hard, but kept calling it Die uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, uh, so I was disappointed I, by that. I apologize for that. I was I was confused with myself. I'm like, that's not the right Die Hard. Four years oh, late, but thank you for the correction. There was a misquoting, uh, Stefan. You had thought that that uh, police detective who strip searched Howard the Duck says that his duckness goes or is inward, but mm-hmm. the line is inborn. Okay. His duckness is inborn. Okay, oh. so that's let's, let's, it's uh, still a weird. It's still a weird line. It's slightly less philosophical, but still, there's a lot of weird lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there I mean, are a lot of lines that are like, no, nobody talks that way. Yeah, aggression is you, a, you a boomerang. Or it's a karmic boomerang. <laughs> a psychic I, boomerang. That, psychic uh, boomerang. Thank you. Better than not. At some point, I definitely want to touch on something that one of you texted, like right before I, right, right before I watched it. Which was this is like this was one of the more like shocking like biggest U turns of a mid action twist that yep. completely like upsets let's, the movie. Let's, let's talk about that when we get to the mid. Oh, I yeah. love that. I want to get when we get to that because like I I was so struck by how true that was. Yeah. So yeah, uh, let's walk through the first act yep. and the first half of the second first act, and then act. Say, then we'll just blow it all the fuck up. There, there's more in the first act than in many films. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean it. I it's very I'm very serious that like it, it would not be hard to take the first half of this movie and the second half of this movie and expand them a bit and then you just have two entirely separate movies. Oh, easily. Yeah, the, the, the second, the second half, half is a mirror of the first half. Like it's it's <laughs> the dark version of the first half of the movie. Like I think it's actually pretty. Well so structured. Howard gets sucked from his planet and then gets deposited in an alleyway and in Cleveland. In Cleveland. Cleveland. He's Although, out. Yeah. 
it takes a long time for it to be clear that he hasn't landed in a post-apocalyptic Earth. That's Cleveland. Because it's, 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 Cleveland, Cleveland, it's Cleveland, and he's surrounded by, like, 1980s movies versions of punks. Yeah, 80s so movies of punks I wrote down. It's, it's very uh, Mad Maxi. It's mm-hmm. I, You would not be uh, wrong to assume until Tim Robbins shows up that we are in a post-apocalyptic hellscape. So I appreciated on this viewing a, couple of, a couple sure. of details here. First of all, you had the 80s punks uh, try to take Howard into a bar. And a bouncer yep. says, no, no, no. They no. don't try to take him into a bar. Yep. They try to force him onto a dweeb who's never had a date. And they are not even remotely interested in this bizarre new life form they have discovered. That, so that was one of the they things we talked about. Bully this other guy. So I bring him in though. But they they bring him in, and the uh, the bouncer, the bouncer in the bar, says mm-hmm. uh, ah something like ah I recognize a kid even in a costume, and he takes. He Howard says no away. children in yeah. here, and he then takes throws Howard him away into a homeless woman's cart. Throws him into an alleyway. <laughs> this this guy. He, yeah is a kid in disguise shucks him at a homeless woman see this is where the movie makes the mistake of prompting us to see howard as a little person in a costume i <laughs> <laughs> do kind of hang a lampshade on it <laughs> yes well i mean one of the things we talked about a lot in our first recording was just how unfazed people are by howard like there's usually like that moment of surprise but like the number of people who are like legitimately freaked out by Howard is like two or three people in the entire movie. Everyone else is like, what's that thing? And now we're going to make fun of you like you're a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did the word nerd exist back then? I guess oh, yeah, yeah, Revenge of the Nerds. They'd already had their revenge, dude. I can't, I can't remember what, well, that was like the popularization of the word nerd, wasn't it? Uh, I think in a lot of ways, yes. Although the word nerd was coined by Dr. Seuss. I don't think I don't think in that uh, in that uh, using that definition. I think just the first recorded use of the word nerd as sort of a Shakespeare now. So uh, Howard is thrown out of this club, and at this club, I mean Howard is in abject confusion and dismay at this point. But uh, at the club, as he should be, uh, yeah. uh, If you were in Cleveland, you'd feel the same way. You'd want to hide in a garbage can as well. <laughs> Cleveland rocks. At, at okay. the yeah. club is... Uh, Living in Finn with a safety pin. At the club is uh, yeah. the band <laughs> Cherry Bomb. Uh, <laughs> Cherry Bomb! Thank you. Uh, fronted by Leah Thompson, uh, Mrs. McFly herself, uh, mm. playing Caroline in the City. Mm. Yeah, Caroline in the City herself. Red Dawn herself. Um... I think this might have been some the kind of made. wonderful herself. I think she made this right after Back to the Future. Yeah, she did I think pretty much. Oh, way to strike while the iron's hot. Uh, <laughs> no, there was Space Camp in between. She struck while the iron was hot with Space Camp. <laughs> space this is when she was striking the iron was kind of warmish. Yeah, space like camp. It wasn't cold is yet. Sort of space chips. Kate Capshaw, Leah Thompson, Kelly Preston, Joaquin Phoenix, Tom Scarrett. What? What what I'm uh, Tate Donovan? Right. You, None of these people were the in Howard the Duck. Uh, that's not yeah. true. Leah Thompson is. <laughs> All right, keep going. Uh, so, oh, and yeah. Frank Welker is with the, the rest of the robot. cast of Space Camp. <laughs> Frank Welker is a robot. God damn it! <laughs> Why didn't they get Frank Welker to do the voice of this duck? <laughs> it would have been amazing. Cost too much. So they didn't Howard have the, the budget. Duck. Um, okay, so what was that? Okay, so he's in Cleveland. <laughs> Leia Thompson Space is attacked camp. in the alley by these punks. 
Howard saves her with his mastery of quack foo, and we begin uh, the long and convoluted and extremely sexual relationship between Howard and Beverly. Oh yeah, no, there's electricity between them right away. Yeah. Like from the moment that she saves her, that he saves her from being raped by those two punks in that alley. Yep. By Satan's sluts, I believe Satan's is the name sluts. of their game. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I'm trying to even. I love that they them. they take the lid off of that garbage can and do not notice that there is a giant ever <laughs> duck inside. Of it. Yeah, they take the lid off and they're like trying to like. Here's a question I have that, that bugged me when I watched the movie: is that there's a point where Howard's like freaking out and running, and he runs into like a kissing couple. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the woman says to get him, and the guy like hits him with like a uh, wrong way sign. And I was wondering where what? that guy suddenly pulled that wrong way sign out of <laughs> I, I missed I missed that. I don't remember the wrong way sign, but who knows? Yeah. So Beverly takes Howard back to her apartment. They have a long conversation where he tells us his life story about how he really wanted to be in a rock band, but he settled to be a, an Yeah, he was in Howard and the Heartbreakers. Howard and the Heartbreakers. Which, there and, clearly should be some kind of pun there, right? Like the Heartbeakers? Something, yeah. something that gets us like a duck. Bird the duck, duck heartbreakers. <laughs> duck heartbreakers. <laughs> we we felt they need to specify that we're ducks because on Duck World we often forget that we are ducks, so that's why we yeah. put duck yeah, in front yeah. of. Well, every... I mean, they, it ducks is have very it short is the norm memories. for them. Heart quackers. Ah. There you go. There we go. Anyway. Uh, okay, so what happens? Uh, Howard passes out. Beverly searches his wallet, finds an unwrapped condom, um, and then she's very blooming ducks. And, and then, well, he is three feet tall. He is, but then we... I mean, if they wanted to be anatomical, it would be spiral-shaped. <laughs> well, you didn't <laughs> see that it, was like, pigs. unfolded. No, that's is the tail. So that's a pig's tail. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't pigs also have spiral penises? I, uh, sure. Yes, they do. I just looked it up for everyone. <laughs> Did you do image search? <laughs> Did you search quick, pig penis? Quick, screen share! Screen share! <laughs> image I'm search Howard the Duck's penis. I, you, I don't uh, know how to screen share, so give me a moment, please. Yeah. So, and, well, uh, and kangaroos have forked penises, or I think marsupials in general have spiny penises. Nature is oh. horrifying. Oh, you poor baby. You <laughs> had to deal with a spiny penis? Has she had kittens? Yeah, she had kittens before I got her. Yeah. Uh, chilling. So this is when we meet Tim Robbins, right? Yeah, so Beverly. Yeah. So again, this this. <laughs> yeah, she rushes into the museum. This dovetails into my theme of... Uh, oh, God, I didn't need to see that. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. This dovetails uh, nicely with uh, what I have identified as the central theme of the movie, which is people ignoring things that should not be ignored at any cost. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's <laughs> so, yes. uh, Beverly puts Howard in a sack... And yeah, like a, it's a garbage bag. bag. It's a, garbage a plastic bag. garbage bag. And drags him kicking and screaming through the streets of Cleveland up the <laughs> stairs of this uh, this research facility to the lab of Tim Robbins uh, in not his well, first film, but very early in his. Yeah. Career. Oh god, yeah, he is he is so young. Like he I was I was the... actually floored by how young he looks in this movie. Yeah. Yes. He works in the paleontology slash ichthyology department, the most natural pairing. Tim Robbins was like 25 when this This is the same year he's in Top Gun, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I watched some special features on the DVD. And they they said that they found him just in the cat. He just auditioned. He's just a guy. Yep. So he, that year he would be in Top Gun. Uh, 
he had a film in between called oh, Deep he, Heads. But Merlin, you blew my mind. Yeah, the, the year after was Bull Durham. So he, uh, like he, he was right so on the is, verge of he's becoming right. something. All right. I, I, it's been a long, long time since I've seen Top Gun. I didn't even remember he was in Top Gun. You would not, from watching this film, guess that he would ever have any <laughs> career because he is terrible in this film. In I actually ways, thought he was pretty good. In some yeah, ways, his performance is the worst part of this film. I would say in But also, in another ways. way, his performance is the best part of this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he go. He, he, it's the direction for him was very clearly like no, be the nerd, be overexcitable. But he's yeah. Tim Robbins, and that doesn't mean that he's cool, but it means that he's not well suited to play the stereotypical '80s nerd. Well, I would, I would also it, argue there's I, like a there's a weird there's a problem where like we kind of talk about this how like everyone is weirdly okay with Howard. I'm actually kind of thinking like Tim Robbins is the only person who's treating this like as anyone else would, which is say, holy fucking crap, there's an alien life form in my laboratory. Yeah, and he's a duck. Yeah, like I think most scientists would have a very similar like reaction. Yeah. No, you can't well, sing at home, everyone, but I'm like waving my arms around like I'm Kermit. I feel like every character in this movie terms, yes. is kind of a cliche, except for the woman who works at the employment office. Yes, I want to I felt like her. she was the only character that I have never seen on screen before. Really? I convinced have. convinced like no, not someone has come to a job interview looking ridiculous she's... so that they will just be able to continue to get unemployment. And I don't know. Kind of... no, no nonsense black woman, I think, is a fairly, yeah. not, fairly not standard character type. Like the, the, no, this the is a very strange the context. The standard context for, for like that, oh. that presentation oh, yeah. that is entire very sequence. disinterested. Like, that, entire okay, con- okay. Yeah. that entire context leading into the bizarre sauna sex dungeon that he then yeah. works in yeah. is the weirdest part of this movie, and that's saying a lot. But it's, it's great <laughs> just because the, the normal presentation in that particular scene is... Uh, the disinterested government employee who doesn't care, just going to shove you somewhere. But instead, it's an aggressively hateful government. No, no, fuck you for asking for a job. I'll give yeah. you a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, like, there's there's so many setups where you would expect it to be, you know, somebody sort of, like, sees uh, Howard and, like, does, like, a double take and is, like, yeah. dumbfounded. But really, it's mainly just, like, a lot of people going, like, oh, it's a duck. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, or, yeah, it's obviously a child in a disguise, or it's a deformed person, or mm-hmm. yeah. this person is Jesus trying to Christ. get away. This woman, weird. oh my god! So this she's this a big actress, stage actress. Yeah, this actress is uh, Virginia Capers or Eliza Capers. She won the Tony for Best Lead Actress in a Musical for her performance in a, in uh, a musical version of A Raisin in the Sun. Wow. And shocking the nurse, is the nurse, a lot of people who a lot of people in this movie dealer. went on to do pretty good. Like that's yeah, kind of the shocking thing about this movie. Pretty good. Like yeah. that you think you look at this movie like, oh god, this is just gonna kill all their careers. And then they like half of them go on to get Tonys, a bunch yeah. of them yeah. get Oscars. Like yeah. they all actually ended up two, two character actors in the opening uh, bar scene on Earth, right? Yep. And uh then David Paymer shows up later. Yeah, no, there's a lot of yeah. Uh um... Lucas had clout, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Anyway, let's let's. All right. So, for how and is it ever entirely clear how Beverly knows Filzy? No, it's yes. Yeah, actually, they do. They do. They do, they do establish that later. Um, oh yeah, uh, Filzy is dating bandmates. one of her bandmates. Uh, oh yes, because he's not going to stay to have sex as yep. he yeah. later <laughs> announces weirdly. <laughs> I 
it, it, that genuinely felt like they kind of realized after the fact they have no idea how they know each other. So yes. they kind of had to like insert a few lines to kind of clarify that, oh, this it, is how they know each sorry, other. Well, it's, 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 it's especially to get undressed. It's especially strange because like her, it, it feels like it's, oh, I know exactly who we're going to go see. I know this guy. He'll be great. And the moment they get there, it's clear that she fucking hates him. Yeah. <laughs> well, she doesn't. She doesn't actually know what he does. She thinks that he's much he higher up around. in the organization than so, cleaning the vomit off of the fossils, off the plant, the, off the, the fern plant. fossils. So this this was for my uh, for my uh, biologist wife studying evolution. This was a painful sequence. Uh, oh. the, first, the first comment that she what made was about? the first comment she made was no one in that kind of lab would be walking around wearing a white lab coat. <laughs> <laughs> And and would he run I, into a uh, meeting where they're all just studying a giant stegosaur would, head would and strapping that. it with leather belts for some reason? Because <laughs> the he, he bursts into that meeting where they're just mm-hmm. strapping, they're doing like weird bondage on a uh, stegosaur And then the, the moment that we got to the evolutionary diagram of, of man evolving from ape, uh, she stood up and walked away. <laughs> I think, I think it, they actually say monkey, don't monkey, they? They ape? say monkey repeatedly. <laughs> they say if monkey. The first many human times. was a monkey. Maybe the first duck. <laughs> I want to say also this, this: I always forget that Tim Robbins is like a giant, and oh, yeah, this tall, like tall really yeah, reminded like me that Tim tall. Robbins is a goddamn giant. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's huge. Like he, I, I like that he's six foot five. So like every once wow. in a while, like yeah, like every time I watch this movie because he's around a lot of shorter actors, I'm like, God, they are struggling to get it's everybody else, sure aren't they? Yeah, he's a tall dude. What uh, if they had uh, cast Richard Keel in this role. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I just watched Happy Gilmore. Okay, so uh, Howard, the uh, woman at the welfare office or uh, employment office. Gets him a job basically as a like a janitor at a sex club. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, like we spa, do this. All right, so, so he's the guy who cleans up the loads in the sauna. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I just want to I just want to like establish how we get here because I feel like there's a very strange disconnect where the plot just sort of makes a big leap. So he yeah. gets pissed off at Philzy and just storms off, and yes. he says, "Okay." I need to get a job, and then we just cut to him being at the unemployment office. Yeah. This is, it just, it's a very strange, the, well, he there's knows a, there's a scene missing, like, I feel. The world is just like his world, right? Right, like, yes. it's, I imagine that, like, the, the idea is that, like, he he's, he's familiar with jobs, and he's familiar that, like, there's a duck unemployment office, so, like, I'm sure, like, he's, this isn't, also, he seems to be able to speak and read perfectly good English. Yeah, so. yeah. he's much no, more I, at home here than anyone else is with him being here. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like there's a there's a like such an obvious missed opportunity for like one or two scenes of zany misadventures. It just goes from well, I the, need a job. The movie is certainly to, short on those. Nick. To, I was expecting yeah. I was expecting a duck out of water plot here. Exactly. to see Howard in Cleveland. Seeing the sights, having fun. There are sights in Cleveland. Go home, everyone. We're not. We're not topping that pond. In in our text chain, you described this as Italian neorealism. That's what I was expecting. I was like, okay, we're gonna have some sequence of. It's either gonna be like neorealism, where you know, it's like you know. Uh, far away uh, shot scale, and Howard's just walking the streets of Cleveland and interacting with folks. 
living his everyday bleak life. Either that or like some montage with neon signs, like nothing. We get none of that. Yeah, instead he immediately goes to the proper bureaucracy. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I understand why he knows how to do this. What but if in this terms of like telling a, a compelling nightmare. story, I don't know if this works. Are you implying this isn't a Kafkaesque nightmare? <laughs> Look, they had to make room here. for all the stuff that's coming later. <laughs> Has anyone considered remaking Kafka as a, as a Lovecraftian horror? <laughs> considered remaking Howard the Duck as a... Uh, fish out of water story in Cleveland. Yeah. No, I've got pitching is... to do, gentlemen. I've got pitching to do. I have to go now. <laughs> we, we are talking about kind of this first half of the film, which is very much. I mean, set aside the fact that a duck has been transported to uh, a, a different planet. Apart from that initial scene, if you recast this film and took Howard the Duck and replaced him with like generic 1980s portrayal of Eastern European immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you could pull that film off without making too many chases. You probably couldn't pull off the <laughs> evolve from a duck scene. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, I don't think Phil would be introduced to the. You can actually do that in a Lovecraft yeah. in a Lovecraft yeah. version. Phil, you know what this movie is? How did this Latvian man evolve? You know what this movie is? It's what? Steven Spielberg's The Terminal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like I was, I've been thinking about this because, like, <laughs> one of the major one of the major differences between now cast is that there's actually a Howard the Duck comic running now, and there wasn't when you yeah, first recorded it. Yeah, the canon wasn't yeah. sacred. Yeah, no, the, the the and he like he crosses over with Squirrel Girl. He has mm-hmm. a dog. Um, he briefly like stole one of Squirrel Girl stole like his Iron Man's armor for Howard. Like, there's it was a whole thing. So like I've actually been thinking about Gizmo like Duck for a while. You know, <laughs> but like what I've been thinking about is like the best like comic book movies like know what they are and know what kind of genre they're trying to hit. Like one of the reasons I love the that is such a weird photo. Uh, I love the new Thor movie is because I feel like the new Thor movie like really knows its identity. Buddy comic. Yeah. And yeah, the the Howard Howard the Ducks comic was always um, in the seventies at least was always like very kind of high existentialist surrealist humor. You know the the jo- the big joke was that there was no joke. It was usually about the fact that Howard would kind of find himself in these sort of like weird kind of dumb situations, and they would make fun of like the larger Marvel universe. And what's weird is that like in this first half, it feels much more like Howard the Duck comics than like the back half where like Howard does kind of just like randomly like have this sort of like weird CD noir adventures and we just kind of like the send up is that you know he's a fucking duck yeah oh he's fucking all right yeah yes. well I mean I think yeah, one, of the, one of the interesting things about like the comic book movies through like the late 70s and the 80s is that they it took them a surprisingly long time to figure out that superheroes were the way to go like, if you look at, like, uh, so, like, you know, Superman comes out and, like, you know, it's not that hard to see how Superman, like, feeds into, like, the later Batman movies and then, like, the 90s and 2000s one. But there's, like, a solid decade where they're, like, what was it that people liked about Superman? Like, let's try some other comics things. Let's do Howard the Duck. It was let's all the Ned Swamp Baby thing. stuff that people loved about Superman. Yeah. Let's do, let's do Swamp Thing. Let's do comic strips. Let's do a Dick Tracy 
being a Brenda Starr uh, movie. It takes them like a decade to figure. So shut your face. (laughs) Yeah, but like it's like Dick Tracy is not like a like a successful example, and it's not like it's not like when you think of like we're gonna make a movie based on a comic these days. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, it's going to be you know in the sort of the superhero mold, and it takes them a long time to sort of figure out that's what the genre is to the extent that superhero movies are genre. And I agree with you that like the most successful ones are like doing a superhero movie in another genre. Yeah, but like they're definitely yeah. just sort of. Well, I don't, um, I, I don't know that they were doing them because they were obviously everyone who makes a movie wants it to be a successful movie. But I imagine that a lot of them were chosen because the people who were making them really loved the comic and wanted to adapt it into a movie, not because they were trying to figure out a comic book formula or something. It was right because, like you know, they you know the it wasn't considered like necessarily a sure bet. Like you know, the, yeah. you know, the crow got made. The director of the crow loved the crow. You, you had and, you know, Superman come out, and Superman made money. Like it was a very successful film. And then you had kind of that fallow period. And then Burton's Batman got made. And when that got made, that was the point where like eyes opened and said, "Holy shit, these things can make a lot of money." Yeah. But then there was that period, even after that, when the crow would fall into this and Dick Tracy would fall into this, where they studios kind of said, "Okay, that made a lot of money." How the hell did it do that? Yeah. Right. yeah I, I, I don't think it's really until, definitely not until X-Men or Spider-Man, yeah, and maybe Spider-Man. you could argue Blade, that really anyone sort of figures out like how to do a another superhero movie that isn't Batman or Superman. Right, because uh, like during that period, and, you've got The Shadow, The Phantom. The Shadow. The, yeah, The Shadow Oh, I... I love the Rocketeer. I actually watched the Yeah, the Rocketeer. Um, the fact that the Dark Rocketeer City, didn't spawn a major franchise or, um, is still depressing. What's the one with Liam Neeson? It's, it's uh, Dark Man. Dark Man. Oh my god, I Sorry. forgot about that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of and yeah, and there's this weird like they decide like like 1940s radio serial superheroes is what people must like. Like there's just an really uh, start. there's this odd sort of game of telephone where like Hollywood is trying to figure that's out that's why there's the Dipper McGee and Molly movie. Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong in remembering that the shadow basically killed Alec Baldwin's career? Um, like he had a, a very I, he I, was he was very hot in the like late eighties early nineties and then he had a huge fallow period until Thirty Rock. Yeah. Now that you mention it, like the idea that I'm, looking, career was I'm looking at his yeah. Hang on, I'm actually. I can let me give me a second. I'm actually on the shadows page, so I can actually hop onto Alec Baldwin. Not asking about the shadows career. I'm asking about Alec Baldwin's (laughs) career. Alec Baldwin really killed the shadows career. Um, I mean, has there been another? Has there been another the shadow movie? No, no, it's been floating around Hollywood for a while. Uh, so yeah, I'm on. Okay, so he did the shadow in '94. Then he was the narrator in a couple of things. He was in the juror, Heaven's Prisoners, looking for Richard. Ghosts of Mississippi, The Edge, Thick of Thieves, Mercury Rising, The Confession, Notting Hill. Oh, he's uncredited in that. I remember him getting um, oh, good that's... reviews for the. Cooler. I don't think you've named a movie that was very popular, well received. You don't. He was, yeah. he was yeah. the conductor in Thomas and the Magical Railroad. It was. It he was, was in not Pearl until Harbor. I'm, I'm looking at this now. It was he not was in until... the Adventures of Pluto Nash. His career couldn't have been dead. So he was in... the narrator on the Royal Tenenbaums and in... was in Final Fantasy movies. So in until 2000, like the 2003, cooler. he started turning it around. Like he got an Academy Award nomination for the Cooler. The next year, he uh, was in the Aviator. But like during this period, he 
reinvented himself as a character. Why are we talking about this? We're talking about Howard the Duck. That's true. We talked well we were talking okay, so the shadow we talk okay, back to comics. Anyway, so Howard <laughs> at this point, he's got a job as a jizz mopper. And <laughs> please tell me that's what he writes on his taxes. <laughs> I mean, Occupation. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, you're not reproductive, wrong. reproductive it's fluid. Universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's also, Jan- Janic I'm sure it's the same universe with the galaxy far, far away, where a popular genre of music is called jizz. Yes. I just want to say real quick: the same year that uh, Alec Baldwin's career starts coming back with 2003. In 2003 with the cooler, he's also in the Mike Myers Cat in the Hat movie. Touche. Um, <laughs> which apparently came out 14 years ago. I just want to point out that the Mike Myers Cat in the Hat movie was not bad enough to kill Mike Myers' career. It took until the love guru to kill Mike Myers' career. His career was the Rasputin of movie careers. <laughs> uh, yes. On that note, I want to pause for just a moment so I can go to the restroom. I'm going to... Yeah. All right. I will also take you up on that. Same. Let's all pee. Pee break, everyone. <laughs> Let's uh, all bring our computers in and pee together. I'm good. Willard the Hoik, director of How with the Duck. It's Willard the Hoik. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I will point out the people who left to pee are the people who were in the. It's true. Absolutely nothing. It's true. We can confess our true feelings about this film, gentlemen. Yes, we are alone now. The original <laughs> podcast hosts are gone. Um, I like the first half of this film. Then I think it takes a very weird turn in the second half and becomes a movie I think is less fun. That is the summary of my feelings on these films. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I also uh, agree. I don't know with what. I don't. I don't know. I I felt like the second half was fun also just I, yeah no i, I found I, the second half less in a weird way less bizarre and interesting yeah, that's true yeah well, it's well, much more i think it's because like the, the the second half is just following such like a rote 80s sci-fi yeah. like kind of like i'm i'm the dark thing and i want to destroy everything and then he has to sacrifice himself for going home like it was just sort of like okay now now it's become the movie think it would be because he got transported and i was kind of enjoying the fact that it was like you think this is going to be a sci-fi? Didn't he pause the recording? I paused myself, or I didn't pause oh. anything. I just muted myself as I walked. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, we do talk. We talked. You can do what you want with it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave right. it well, in. Solid gold. Okay. We may <laughs> want to. We may want to come back to that because it sounds like something worth coming back to. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So that's we have reached basically the break of the movie. Because Howard, he's he's done his job. He comes back. He reunites with Beverly. He gets her band manager fired by he beating did. up a couple character actors. And, and Philzy now, says yeah. that he's been investigating Howard's uh, how well, Howard got to her. No, 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 no. Hold on. The sex scene they is almost just stuck. They yeah. almost. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I'm getting. <laughs> this is that, a very important scene. That, this is this is the fulcrum upon which the movie turns. <laughs> it really yeah. is. Like they are about to fuck, and then Jeffrey Jones kicks the door down. And <laughs> no, he down. doesn't. There's no kicking up. There's no door present. No, he just walks in on that. So the uh, okay, again, Leah Thompson is about to initiate sex with Howard she the Duck. She has. 
yes. she has start. She first makes a very yeah. hard come on to him. Yeah, they're and already then on. Then starts like, kissing his. They're bill. on a base. After I don't she's know which base they get to. They're they're between, yeah, they're found his his uh his credit cards and finds out that he is a moneyed and talented duck. <laughs> and then she's all he, about it. She, she he admires her butt. Yep. Yes. It's, very it's, it is actually. What's weird about the scene too is that like it, I, I everything is weird about weird this scene. Let me try. Let me try to phrase this in a way that doesn't make me sound weird as hell. If you were to replace Howard with a human being, it would actually be kind of a sexy scene. Say you yeah. So it's like actually like weird. And Pinochet. Yeah, like if this was like it's a very like if you look at it from like the perspective of like actually a very kind of like funly written directed scene. It's just that because he's a duck, it's weird as shit. I, I mean, thought like, the sexy as hell here. It, it seemed yeah. like there was a distinctly uh, obvious metaphor here that it's about <laughs> sexual anxiety on the part on Howard's part. Like he feels that they should not be fooling around, and then the moment that they do, government agents walk. They're into not government the agents. Can, can, can I just pause for a they second and apologize for calling Bronson Pinchot Bronson Pinochet? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sorry, yes, guys. Is that the guy Sorry. from Perfect Strangers? Yeah. No, this guy is not, not the Chilean dictator. Yes, Bronson. <laughs> so Jeffrey Jones <laughs> kicks her door in, which is always a creepy sentence. Yeah, Jeffrey, yeah. Jo- yes. Jeffrey well, Jones no, appears. Tim Robbins. Yeah, Tim Robbins and some other scientist, like some third scientist who I don't think even gets some the name. Some third scientist they played by a person want, you don't They just know. wander into her tenement uh, while they're well, about to have sex. Something, isn't it? Yeah, like, and they never actually, like, the best they get is that Tim Robbins says that the door was open, but, like, they never actually go, you know, maybe we should have knocked before entering your home, but we decided, let's walk in in creepily and stare at you. I'm picturing a loft-style elevator, like, uh, like the kind Doogie Howser had when he moved into his own place in the city. Or like Wayne had in Wayne's So there's no front door. Yeah, or where the, or the sneakers headquarters. Yeah. Sneakers. There you go. I don't think I've seen they were called the sneakers, but sure. The sneakers. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's totally what their clubhouse name is, isn't it? So, Dude, Jeff- I'm pretty sure you're the only other human being I can make sneakers references to. I've tried doing it with other people, and nobody fucking knows that movie. Too many secrets. So, Jeff- <laughs> All right, so we put together four of the creepiest words in the English language. <laughs> Jeffrey Jones, coitus interruptus. <laughs> oh, God. It has gotten even creepier given what is going on out here. Yep. Yeah, it was, all, it was, it was really ahead of the perf so, curve. He was really it, ahead of the perf curve. Uh, I think it's interesting that sex is so like prevalent in this film because I think it's the only George Lucas film where that's the case, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I, I well, it depends what you count as a George Lucas film. Yeah, were there any horny teens in American Graffiti? I don't remember uh, sex being a particularly strong motivator in that film. I've never uh, seen American Graffiti, so I can't yeah. remember. It's really good. I don't even there, think there's sex a, is particularly uh, relevant yeah. in the prequels. Mid-Kids mid, mid Unite, there is a Middlebury call out in American Graffiti. Indeed, there is. All right. there is. Oh, I was yeah. the only non-Mid-Kid here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go back to Bennington. <laughs> I am mid-kid we should get... that we're all creating like a fake weird shared hallucination where I'm a mid-kid we need to get t-shirts made that say Middlebury exclamation point and then on the back it says go back to Bennington <laughs> <laughs> I 
one of my favorite memories is uh, I think it was senior year. We yeah, were watching uh, Thirty Rock, and Alan Alda's character is a professor at Bennington, yeah. Yeah. and. Alec Baldwin says, you just teach there because you couldn't get a job at Middlebury. And we all just went, yeah! And we heard people from all down the hall (laughs) screaming, yeah, at the same time. I don't remember that. I remember that. that. Very nice. There's a part of 30 Rock that is still in There is, season two. Really? Yeah, because Edie Falco's character is a Vermont senator. And they use mid as, uh, like, stock footage. Well, no, there's a... Oh, okay. Uh, Anyway, I I will go back and look at that. I don't remember that. Anyway. Uh, okay, so the movie has turned. Uh, Jeffrey Jones shows up. He's a scientist. He was responsible for a massive secret l- space laser project. <laughs> yes, that, that was unauthorized. Inter- unauthorized space laser project that inadvertently brought Howard to Earth. And he has theorized a way to send Howard back to Duck World. And Howard's ready to go. So they all go to this lab and find that chaos has ensued. Uh, Jeffrey Jones. David Pamer's there. Tried to activate the laser. David Pamer shows up. And when he showed up, I actually raised my hands in the air and shouted, David Pamer. Um, is he the scientist who comes out and, and says that they turned it on again and they no, should not mess with he, science? He's the oh, scientist he's... who kind of leads them through the lab, through the chaos. Oh, okay. The I love the guy, the, uh, he was in Get Shorty. I love the moment where. Uh, that scientist comes out and says that, and Howard just says, that doesn't bode well. <laughs> right into the camera, practically. Oh, God, I'm going through my notes here. Uh, yes. That's it, yeah. So they've another unauthorized space laser thing, and it's well. blown up, uh, and... Then the cops This show. is when the cops show up. The cops show they arrest, up. Yeah. They, like, detain everybody, and this is where, like, Howard gets strip-searched, and... This is where the darkness is happens. Very distinctly. Yep. Yeah. Um, One of these cops uh, ended up being a cast member on CSI for 14 years. Good for him. Yeah. Not Uh, not a bad gig. So playing the same character. Yeah. So uh, so playing the same character. Beverly and Howard hook up with uh, Jeffrey Jones, Doctor Jennings, Jennings, Doctor Jennings, make their escape. Who's turned up no, after the experiment? They have yeah. their escape. <laughs> Doctor Jenning is very forthright about the fact that he is possessed by a Lovecraftian horror, and Howard oh, yeah. and Beverly will not listen to completely him. Completely no, ignore him. <laughs> he, he is. The moment that he not, says that, he, he is very explicit. The alien is inside me. I feel my organs shifting as I am like, someone yeah, else. whatever, dude. Yeah, as soon as they get to their this destination. Yeah, as soon as they get to their destination and the car stops, he turns, looks Howard in the eye and says, I am not Jennings anymore. Yeah. And like, they just dismiss him. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. this whole big thing where like he's being taken over by an elder Torah from beyond the stars, and this is disrupting his ability to drive, and all Howard and Beverly could do is make like cracks cracks about what a bad driver he is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's the he actually used the word eons for how long he's been banished to a different quadrant of the galaxy. Yep. Yes, he is a he is a dark lord of the universe, dark overlord, yeah. Yeah. dark overlord of the universe, and he is going to use the space laser to mm-hmm. summon the rest of the dark overlords of the universe, yeah. who are literal demons. He describes himself as a demon yep. from beyond the solar Wait. system. Wait a minute. Yes. Initially, he says that he has disguised himself in. Dr. Uh, Jennings. 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 So that, because he is considered hideous by their yeah. standards, yes. right? But later he says that 
that his species needs a human host mm-hmm. in order to move here. Yep. Yes. So and then later, his, his, he appears in his true form. So you might think that there is no consistent answer to this, and it's all being made up as they go along. Yes. Okay. So, so I, after I, the driving, I, I, I want, I want it this, to this the best the, scene of the movie. This is the thing. I want. I real like Bester. I know you and I have things to say about this, but I yeah, really I want to hear, uh, dude, Derek and Patrick on this. Where the do they diner. end up, Bester? The diner. Tell us about the diner. Those of you can, who have not recorded I, an episode about Howard the Duck, what were your thoughts on the diner? I would like to open this one, if I may, because right before they even enter the diner, there is a uh, banner above the diner advertising what their special is. It very specifically says that their special is, quote, Cajun Sushi. I thought that was the name of the diner. I thought it was a Cajun Sushi Someone who grew up in New Orleans, um, I've got no goddamn clue what that is, and I would very much like to know. Uh... Yeah, I was under the impression that the whole restaurant was Cajun sushi. Like this yeah, is the genre. My read on this on it this time is this is a weird commentary on the sudden popularity of sushi in the nineteen eighties. I think the idea here is that this normal roadside diner has hopped onto the sushi bandwagon and set up a sushi bar in the diner. That's what I think is going on here. They don't serve well, they they Cajun themes. They're in Ohio. I don't know that. I cannot explain Cajun sushi. And they all like. My grandmother lives in Ohio, and I grew up in New Orleans. There are really no Cajuns in Ohio, and no sushi in uh, in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, I, I just think that George Lucas loves diners. Here or there. Well, yes, there are diners in American. Graffiti. I mean, yes, that is also true. There's, yeah, there's, there's diners in the back of the clothes, and, oh, and Jabba's Palace are there. practically diners. Jabba's Palace is not a diner. But a giant monster who would like to be in a diner. Yeah. That big asteroid worm, that's like a diner for Minox. The the fucking like the the Sarlacc did not walk into Jabba's palace and say, ah, eggs and bacon, please. The Temple of Doom with the monkey brains. Is that not a diner? Ah, touche, touche. (laughs) And what is the lost ark if not a to-go box? From a diner. Yep. What is salacious crumb if not a waiter at a diner? (laughs) Yes. What is Red Tails if not a movie I've never seen but probably has a diner? (laughs) There's a they go to a diner in like episode two or three. Episode two. Yeah, with Slee's Baggins. No, not no. That's a bar with Slee's Baggins. No, Dex is the one who owns the diner. This big forearm guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My mistake. Slee's Slee's Baggins is a great. That's my favorite diner. Welcome to Slee's Baggins. Guys, guys, can we? I think we start to quit our jobs and open up a diner called Slee's Baggins. I will be the line cook. Please, please, let's do that. Yep. Sleaze Baggins. The tagline is "It's edible." Excuse me, but as I recall, Derek said that it, it was retconned to be pronounced Sleaze Bagano. Oh. <laughs> well, will they pronounce Bagano so as to avoid copyright claims from Disney? Sleaze Which is, let's, I also no, do want to pause take it to say that now. it's very weird that this is a George Lucas movie about a Marvel character and like those now both of those things are owned by Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His yeah, also, I mean, plan is now one quarter complete. Yeah. 
I mean, Disney's about to buy Fox, so I can just tell you that like Disney owns everything, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It will be two quarters complete. So, so this diner scene is really fucking long. Yeah, it goes and on for a very long time. And again, the entire scene is premised on everyone ignoring what is happening right in front of them for a very long time. So Howard, Howard Beverly and the possessed Dr. Jennings go and sit at a counter. Jennings yes. rants for a while about the universe, makes a ketchup and mustard bottle explode, and they're like, oh, how'd you do that? No reaction from any of the yeah. other diners. No. Yeah. No. No cut. Like, they eventually they get yeah. hassled by, like, truckers, but not because, like, there's a psychic space demon. I don't even clear why those truckers, they just seem to do. They get because they're hassled. bullies. Yeah, they're, they're bullies, bullies, just like they, the first people that he encounters. They get hassled in the same way as you would imagine, like, any out-of-towner getting hassled in uh, in a film. At the beginning film. of this yeah. film, when he they're, arrives they're pretty in much, they're they're I'm telling you, the, the movie, they're like, they're like the bullies in my cousin Vinny, like that guy yeah. that uh, my cousin <laughs> that he has to like play pool against. That's what essentially if Joe what Pesci doing. played Howard the Duck. God. Yeah. Okay, listen, but, listen to this. You're joking, uh, but that sounds awesome. Hey, I'm a fucking it duck. Does sound pretty awesome. You just put a duck bill on him. You don't do anything else. It's yeah. just quack, quack. What can I say? I mean, would that not be more effective than what they're doing here? Because yeah. this is not effective. Uh, no. So, in the beginning of the film, Howard ends up in an alley, and the first people he meets are bullies who throw him into a club. Then he sees uh, a woman about to be raped, and he intervenes and stops. Yep. He's a hero. So, yes. Now, this new alien uh, arrives on Earth. The first thing it does is uh, order some eggs. No, it, it some says eggs. like I have entered. I have entered uh, Doctor Jennings yeah. or whatever. It rapes Doctor Jennings. <laughs> And then it gets bullied, and it reacts backwards and actually uh, fights them and kills them. So the movie yeah. is restarting with a second alien arriving, so as to be a dark right. mirror okay. of Howard the Duck, like okay. that, like that Who's show, Dark movie? Mirror. Yes, right. but yeah. So it's <laughs> like, it's some very it's some very low level movie bullying. They're like, "Ha, you're a duck. You look stupid. Mm-hmm. You're a duck." And then some switch flips. And every human being in the uh, diner decides we must now murder, murder this him. duck. Yeah. They all this, just go rip shit. This leads to my favorite line in the movie, which is the only line that got a genuine, the only part of the movie that got a genuine belly laugh out of me. Uh, Howard is strapped down to the counter and about to be killed and eaten by all of these people. They are salting and peppering him as he's strapped Again, on the counter. It's, there's no clear yep. reason why the entire yep. diner turns against him. <laughs> Le- Leah Thompson is trying to get the possessed Dr. Jennings to help. He's now like sitting at the counter glowing and mutating. Yeah. She's trying to convince him to help <laughs> Howard, and she says to him, uh, he was my favorite duck, and possessed Jennings very dismissively <laughs> says, you hardly know him. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks I like the line she looks at him so hurt. The waitress having taken his eggs. Yeah, yeah. She took yeah, my eggs. Jennings is like the weirdest her, Jennings. I no longer need like, food. She took my <laughs> eggs. Yeah, no, you already know so him. Is so weird. <laughs> it's it's a great work. Yeah, Je- Jeffrey I, Jones. I, mean, I feel like that performance is incredible. It's really like, great. In but the special features, they said that he worked really hard on doing that voice. At the same time, as I watch it, though. 
it could only remind me of John Lithgow's performance in Buckaroo Banzai, which is a far better performance. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, as as we talked about in, in the first uh, yeah. the first recording of this, this scene in particular and this entire second half of the movie feels very mm-hmm. Buckaroo Banzai to me. Yeah. Like I feel like see the place- if, this, if this hadn't been a Howard the Duck movie, if this movie had started like at that moment of Coitus Interruptus, and this mm-hmm. was the entire movie. It would absolutely feel exactly like a Howard, uh, um, Buckaroo Banzai sort of style, that kind of sort of cheesy, over the top, uh, 80s movie. Yeah. yeah. Stefan, it's interesting you say that, um, you were reminded of Buckaroo uh, Banzai and John Lithgow, which I totally see performance wise. But the sort of plot point Bonzai? of alien inhabiting a human's body and like slowly kind of emerging from it mm-hmm. reminded me of Vincent D'Onofrio uh, as the bug in yeah, yeah. Black. There, there's a very clear answer. Which, which I found more compelling as a kind of effect of an alien inside a human being bursting out. <laughs> you, you found something more compelling than an element of Howard the Duck? I know, shocking. We've lost Patrick, but we'll, we'll yes. sally forth and hope he reconnects. Oh, yes. Oh, and we've kind of forgotten that there's a MacGuffin in play here. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, Jenning, it's just Jenning, not Jennings, uh, has taken the... I kept wanting the, to call him Dr. Brenner, anyway. The, the ignition key for the space laser. Yeah. Like, it, and... Is that that redneck takes and then tucks into his pocket very gingerly? Yeah, like as if he actually sees its value? Yeah, he's going to take that home and use it or sell it on eBay? <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking like, for an issue key for my space laser back home. Yeah, yeah. and again, is back that the point the where the entire town, the entire diner, decides to kill him? Yep. It's I'm still unclear as to like the like well, what is the the breaking point. There's, what, 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 there's like a uh, a Sartre play to be written about an entire diner with <laughs> one anthropomorphic duck in it, and over the course of an hour and a half, they all decide to kill and eat the duck. Yeah. Well, like one one or, thing that's kind of it's called no. I was thinking in. about it. It's that Nicole Kidman movie, that like really minimalist one about like a town that uh, turns against a woman. Oh. No ducks in. That's it. Um, <laughs> the others. Uh, no. Uh, Blindness. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway. <laughs> No, what I was thinking about was, um, Stefan, you were the one who said like the theme of this movie is people inexplicably ignoring things. Yeah. This literally is the possessed Dr. Jennings is doing that because the only thing Dr. Jennings gives a shit about, like the demon in this scene gives a shit about, is the space laser key. Which he ignores the theft of for quite a while. Yeah, Yeah, he literally just sitting there ignoring it for like shockingly long where I'm like, if that's the other thing he cares about, like, why is he just literally just sort of like just sitting there not doing anything? He waits for this burn the witch pantomime to play out. (laughs) Yeah, and like this. This scene is very well. He's probably very, very interested to see what these humans that he's going to devour are like. Mm-hmm. Well, also, like why he also tells them to unhand the duck, but I don't know why he cares about saving Howard. Yeah, it's it's almost like the internal logic of these characters is not consistent. No one. I mean, in this movie acts like a human, especially the duck. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I, I will say. That's probably true. Come back to your. No one's movie has no one in this movie has like acts like a human, but like this is the point. Like up until this point, there have been characters who at least acted with an an internal logic that was maybe ridiculous. 
but at least like you know I know like Tim Robbins' character's internal logic is ridiculous, but it's consistent. Tim Robbins' like, it is ridi- internal logic is I'm an idiot. <laughs> yes, like everyone's internal logic is consistent. This is the one where everyone's internal logic just like completely falls to pieces, and it's not clear why anyone's doing anything. No, it's yes, it's very unclear. Most of what's like, going it, it feels on. Well, I think they're all like, trying. I think they, like the rest of us, are just trying to get to the end of this movie. So the entire yes. plot is dumped in this scene, and the internal logic is completely inconsistent, and everyone behaves irrationally. Yes. This is the majesty of the diner scene. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the iconic diner scene. Yes. Like, and yeah. I think that we I talked about a lot in the first so recording. Cool that I thought the entire second half of this film was in the diner. I remembered him turning into the giant monster and destroying the diner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would that would be a better movie. That would be incredible if, like, the entire third act of the movie was just, like, it became, like, a really minimalist uh, uh, film. It would, well, no, I remember... It would feel it, a little well, bit more accurate to the source. I, yeah. I remember it being, like, really big and set PC because I remembered there being a specific standoff of the monster growing bigger inside of the diner and the diner's, like, roof exploding, and then there being, like, cops and the military all around it. None of which happens no, in this no. film. Is this, like, how we all hallucinated the Red Skull playing the piano on the castle? That the really happened. definitely played the piano on top of the castle. You take Are you talking that didn't that. happen? That did happen, right? It definitely happened. He's gaslighting you. I'm not sure now if that actually happened. It I'm... happened. Yeah, and Captain America throws his shield, and then it hits Red Skull while he's at the piano. And he goes, ah, my lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to rewatch that, because I'm now, I'm, honestly, I have been successfully no gaslit. I don't Red remember Skull whether or not that the original mascot for, the, for Lucky Charms. <laughs> How did they take my lucky charms? It was they were the lucky charms were Italian back then. You have to understand. Yeah, they were original. They were originally shaped like crucifixes. (laughs) And little red skulls. And Captain America's shield. All right, so okay, so eventually uh, we leave the diner. Well, uh, no, well, Jennings takes Beverly and the ignition key. He leaves the diner. The cops who still have all of the arrested uh, and scientists. Yeah, uh, yeah they were the arresting diner. those people for a long time. Yeah. Felt like. uh, so, Filzy well, and uh, Howard make their escape by stealing an ultralight no, just, aircraft. Yeah, okay, so pause yeah. for a second. I, I, lo- I love the idea that these scientists are in the back of the cop cars, and then the cops go to investigate something else to arrest people. Like, cop cars are basically uber pools where they go <laughs> and just like, oh, we got more yeah. prisoners, we got more convicts to pick up at this roadside diner. I love the moment when they put Tim Robbins in the back of the cop car, and he, he looks and sees that there is no handle on the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, no window handle or something. And I, I, I actually, despite growing up always in cars. That growing up in the back windows, of cop cars. <laughs> I forgot that manual windows had been a thing because you never see them anymore. That's, oh my That's true. God. Yes, particularly these given that today, like, these millennials don't know uh, window <laughs> handles. Yeah, particularly as like I, Jeffrey I Jones. When Tim Robbins gets... Jeffrey Jones, like God. while he's transforming... Had to have driven like five or ten miles to get to this oh, diner. Easy. The idea that these are the only cops around, that like this, they wouldn't have other cops to answer it. Anyway. Right. And like, Cleveland's only like ten Cleveland, blocks long, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, probably making fun of Cleveland, it is a city. 
with yeah. lots of people in it. And apparently a giant space laser. There's apparently a giant space mm -hmm. laser. So yeah. Master, okay, you're, and you're an ultralight. You're, yes. you're correct. They they steal an ultralight, which is an interesting choice for your climactic <laughs> film like escape. This vehicle. used to be a semi-regular plot. Uh, uh, like plot Name device another that... film where there's an ultralight chase. I fly away home. According to these text messages I have about your first episode. That's back when Anna Jeff Daniels taught us how to fly. And Putin drove one, apparently, or something. Apparently. Yeah, I got text messages that say this. Four years ago, apparently, I associate ultralight aircrafts with Putin. We I have don't significantly know why. different associations with Putin now. Yeah, uh, no, it's been, a, it's been a weird four years, guys. I think you all know uh, this. On the special features for the on the DVD, they said that they were basically filming this ultralight sequence as a separate movie in parallel to this movie because it was so complicated. The, I can imagine. So I searched Putin Ultralight and the first thing that came up is a New York Times article said that said the headline is Putin pulls off latest feet flying with rare birds. <laughs> I, that, I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. I don't imagine that there was a different incident that you were thinking of. You remember back I, you remember back when everyone loved Putin in 2012? He must have been a completely different guy back then. He was That was back was when he was funny. He was TV in the protecting rare birds wing. Yeah. Went around All right, so that so yeah, there's ultralight, this, well, ultralight there's, chase and then ultralight chase. Although at the same time uh, Jeffrey uh, Jones uh, has a weird uh, An incredible body plot. horror moment where he yes. go where he breaks into a nuclear no, before uh, that, plant. Before that, you got to talk about the body horror. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, right, right, yes. Looks like so, it looks like something out of the, the thing. spiked penis that comes yeah, out. No, of his it's mouth. legit frightening looking. Yeah, it's yeah. incredibly tonally out of place. Yeah. Uh, so he needs he needs more energy. Uh, with, 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 is is what he's working with right now. So Same. he takes out the uh, the car lighter and he and like a tentacle <laughs> comes out of Just his like mouth. a man. He sticks it in the first hole he can find. Yeah. So and then he like sticks it in and he gets a bunch of energy. And then later he drives by a nuclear power plant and. He like hides like there happens to be like some government inspectors there, and he just like hides yeah. amongst them, and like then eats the uh, nuclear power I, plant. I, I would actually I guess. Have to pause for a moment with this nuclear power plant scene because something really weird struck me about this scene <clears throat> when he's really? going into the nuclear power plant. Because <laughs> I think the sentence I just said was totally reasonable. <laughs> when he's going into the nuclear power plant to like absorb the energy. The music playing is like triumphant hero the, won the, the race. The music in this film is completely incongruous with what's happening yeah. on screen. <laughs> right, like, like, this is like the bad guy powering up so he can destroy us all. What if the composer like, just dun, saw Daniels and thought that Howard was supposed to be the bad dun, guy? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You know who did the music for this film? John Barry. John, John Barry. Barry. Yeah. And Thomas Barry. That was a thing you knew four years ago. I did, but I yeah, that was the on last the four years. It's been a rough four years. Oh, 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 so the score was written by John Barry, although some of it was replaced by material composed by Sylvester LeBay. Most notably, the music for the scene where Howard and Hill fly the ultralight. <laughs> John Barry can't score an action scene. We know that. Everyone knows that. So, ultralight. Walk us through the ultralight. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what there is to say, Patrick. Do you, do you want to give it a shot? No, but I will. 
Um, it's a lot of zany hijinks. There's a lot of Howard hijinks whining. The right word for it. There's a lot of Howard whining about how he can't fly. Or swim. Uh, the ultralight hits the road a lot, like a lot, a lot, it's not and a good like they're. They're actually getting chased by cop cars a lot, and then there's a part where Howard does a loop-de-loop and drowns Tim Robbins. Maybe, maybe, okay, uh, maybe the ducks can't fly on their planet because they don't have hollow bones anymore. Mm-hmm. So they maybe, talk about that. Maybe actually. Howard is like really dense and heavy. They actually talk about maybe. that. Then you know, it's just like a lot of weird zany hijinks. At one point, uh, Filzy like totally turns on Howard oh, yeah. for like. About That's twenty it, seconds, where he just like is going to completely throw Howard under the bus <laughs> until he gets back up into the plane, and he's like, "Oh, okay, I don't hate you anymore." Uh, um, at the meantime, uh, Doctor Jennings gets like stopped at like a random smog check, and then like blows up a lot of, and kills a lot of people. Yeah, and then it's like derisively cool says, "Smog." Check. Actually, yeah. no, it looks great. It's just like bizarre. And uh, then, yeah, I guess everyone just sort of gets to the lab. Although I think at that point, like, I kind of tuned out for like, like a a half second, and then all of a sudden, everyone was at the lab, and I wasn't entirely certain how. No, I think that's how it happened. Yeah, the I'll admit, I'll second. admit, I was turned, I was pretty tuned out by this. Once the diner scene had happened, I was kind of like, all right, I've seen what I need to see. Well, the uh, the bad guys in the the rednecks in the diner had Howard on a slab, the way that uh, Jenning has uh, Leah Thompson on a slab. In the in the science all, place. It's all oh, we uh, forgot. To, we what? forgot. To, sorry, we it's forgot like, to mention plot point. Everyone, the reason he has Leah Thompson is that, as we mentioned uh, during at least part of the movie, the aliens, <laughs> the demons, need humans to inhabit. They don't later, yes. but for this point, they do. Yes. So he needs. He arbitrarily picks Leah Thompson to be a host. Although it seems to me that he doesn't really particularly need anybody. Just any you know slabs of meat will do. So, for some reason, he particularly picks Leah Thompson. Because she's cute well, and you? we're invested in her? I don't know. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's there. He knows her. Yeah. So we get into the I mean, lab. most murderers, uh, you know, don't they choose someone that they that they know to be inhabited by a demon from the, on the sto- from Beyond the Stars? It's a very dense. I mean, but he is himself a demon from Beyond the Stars. Yeah. Uh, Aren't we all? So we get to we get to the lab and then no, the movie That's just it, you, Bester. The movie as it approaches Damn. its climax gets uh gets an extra boost of juice, I feel. Because we get into the lab and there's a confrontation and Howard shoots uh Jennings with uh, an experimental what is it, like a neutron Neutron disintegrator. Neutron it's, disintegrator. It's some kind of gun that's very convenient it's a science device. to a cart. It's a convenient <laughs> yes. never referred to never previously referred to gun. I mean, everything Jenny, about the science like, going on here. Yeah. Why accurate. does the bitch? Why does the bitch boy from the museum know these people doing this unauthorized space laser work? Not How did they? Because in Soviet Russia, knows each other. Well, yeah, because like he's supposed. To, he looks like he's supposed to be like an an ichthyology or paleontologist. Like it's ever clear what he's getting his science he's also his very degree clearly in. Clearly, a lab assistant. Um, yeah, well, he, right. he went to uh, he he went to the. What was the thing? Just the science building in Spider-Man. Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. The, science, the science, science college, Columbia. Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> Howard shoots Jennings with his laser, and Jennings and the uh, Dark Overlord are separated, and we yes. get a really fantastic uh, stop-motion animation creature yes. of the Dark Overlord yes. that even like on this viewing four years later, I appreciate it even more. That thing is it's awesome. So good. 
It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it, that's yeah, where I, the $30 million went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a good, there are some good effects here. I like a lot of the effects going on here. I think a lot of the uh, like the laser shit that Jenning, Jenning mm-hmm. does is, uh, is very effective. Oh, no. It looks good. Yeah. So but get, yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then he uh, Howard successfully stops well, him. Well, we open a portal to the sky, and monsters come through, like in the Avengers. Yes, coming through. Yep. Yes. But he stops them at one second. Yep. Yeah. He takes that nuke and he flies through, and he drops the nuke, and then he falls, and they're like, "Oh my god, he's dying! He's gonna crash into New York City!" And yeah. it's like, "Oh wait, no." It's different. And then the Hulk grabs him. Yeah. We, we, we yeah. have our we have our Howard died for our sins moment. And yeah. then, um, we and have, then he didn't. And then he didn't. Yeah, he he pretends to be and a dark overlord. Somehow, no one died. He was building without sloshing no, no. him off like a like one a of wet the co- bag. the people the people the 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 cars at the smog scene all blew up, which I assume had people in it. And then the no, cop, no, they did the not cop. because they very they we very see them running away. We see yeah. everybody running away over hill and dale. They are yeah. like a mile because away because that cop fired a shotgun at a truck window. Yeah, yeah. although. Although the cop who gets hit with the laser after doing that, he might be dead. I think he's There's dead. There's like two or three cops that might be so, dead. But it's a shockingly small body count for a Howard the Duck movie. And then <laughs> we, uh, we we move to the uh, the real climax of the film. Yes, which the greatest is, song ever. Uh, with the world being saved, the cherry bombs are now huge rock stars, yes. and Howard is their manager. And they have yeah. a great new what song about this Howard. 80s trope? Why don't we get this in movies since, like, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2? Yeah. There's just a big musical sequence. Yes. Or uh, one of my favorite moments every time I watch Adam's Family is remembering at the very end that there, the is, rap? A, that there is a rap about the Adam's Family. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Every, it is a surprise every time I watch the Adams it's Family. It's pretty great. Pretty great. There's a, wonderful MC surprise. Hammer does a rap about the Adams Family over the credits yeah. to the Adams Family. Yeah. And really, really since like Wild Wild West, I think was the last big movie that had like a song written about it. Or at least a rap written about it, certainly. Yeah. Well, that, that was, that's a, it's, it's a song that they redid, right? Is it, don't they sample a lot? Yeah, they sample the a bunch. It's based on. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, getting jiggy with it. Uh, September is uh, September is what the Metal Black one's based on, but I can't remember what uh, yeah. what Wild Wild West is based on. But yeah, there's definitely major sampling happening there. Mm-hmm. Major sampling. Um. Yeah. So we have the major. Howard the Duck. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so Howard ends up on stage, and he plays a bitchin' lead guitar uh, solo. Q and ready, Q and go! He finally gets to live out his dreams. Yeah, lives out his dreams as lead guitarist of a rock band full of hot women, and we fade to black. Yeah, and implicitly he is probably fucking Leah Thompson at this point. Yeah, at We're least. assuming that Jeffrey Jones does not continually coitus interruptives. Like, oh my god, there's another problem with my space laser. Well, Howard does have the, size, have the size and reminiscent body of a child. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh god, dude. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, come on. Everyone else was thinking this. Uh, no, 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 we're not. That's what you guys are talking about with Jerry Jones and Coitus and I had a very pleasant and a humanoid duck fucking, and you had to ruin it <laughs> by bringing Jeffrey Jones' uh, paraphilia into this. Uh, 
Right. Did you say paraphilia? Yeah. Yeah, he fucks what? pears. <laughs> okay. Paraphilia is a general term for like sexual deviancy. Oh, okay. Yes. I didn't know. Okay. That. We learned something today. Yeah. Um. All right. So again, Bester and I had our say last time around. Dude, Derek, Patrick. We we summarized the film. We talked about a lot going through there. What's What's on your mind right now? Yeah. Tell us I more about watch, the diner scene. I would watch this film a hundred thousand times before I would watch Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer again. <laughs> I, I mentioned earlier our least favorites. I that is easily my least favorite. That is, that is, I think Electra is still my least favorite. But same like, here. I, but I, I think I'll, I think that's because my brain yeah. my brain has rejected Silver yeah. Rise of the Silver Server. I literally don't remember that movie. I'll, I'll break the tie. Fantastic Do you remember what Galactus looks like? A cloud. Fantastic <laughs> Four. Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer is the worst film I've ever seen, and maybe not the worst <laughs> really? technically or uh, it, all of that, but just in terms of like the film that, as I watched it, I enjoy. I. I I derived negative enjoyment from yeah, that. The least, it was the least enjoyable movie you've seen, not necessarily yeah, I mean, the like, worst movie. I, yeah, I, yeah, I worst there, implies like aesthetic qualities. Yeah, like, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Overtly foul mood recording the Rise of the Silver Surfer podcast. So <laughs> anyway, and we one of the things like, I found amazing sex. was just how ne- negative we were about Howard the Duck in that first recording. Like, we we well, did not know what was ahead of us. Yeah, <laughs> really it's didn't. been a long four years. Yeah. <laughs> but I would We've seen some bad movies. I'd no, still take Rise of the Silver Surfer over Electra any day. <laughs> I, I, I found this film uh, surprisingly delightful. I mean, yeah. having, having listened to the first episode, oh, yeah. um, I, I knew that it was an uneven kind of delightfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and, yeah. you know, certainly like the second half and... Really, the diner scene, and you know, as as cool as the effects are, just the the, the last act I find completely dull and, and yeah, boring. The, the, the and film generic. the film takes a, a really negative turn after the diner scene. It's just not fun anymore. But prior to that, like to watch this film this time, it was on sale on iTunes. I spent five bucks on it. I feel like it was five bucks well spent. Five dollars. I saw. Yeah. I, I, we, this is the thing we were talking about when you guys were in the bathroom because we we were agreeing that like. There's like a halfway point, which is like roughly around the diner scene, maybe a little before it, oh. where like the the movie kind of just completely like changes what it is and yeah. becomes a lot less fun. And I really and like, enjoyed the first half. Not, I genuinely enjoyed where, the first half. That is not where I yeah, put the I did halfway too. point. The halfway point for me is coitus interruptus. Yeah, there is. It, yeah, it, it like is at that point. Yeah, it is that point that the space laser as a plot device enters into the equation. Actually, yeah. It's no. only like five minutes later that like the it's the accident happens. Like I feel like. Yeah, yeah, like it's like the, yeah, I, I feel like the moment that Jeffrey Jones enters the movie is is when there's that shift. Well, and like the if first I remember at the time, into a I think that is literally. I think that is literally the middle of the movie. I feel like there's like the first act is him getting to. Yeah, the transition. Uh, yeah, getting to Earth. The second, the first half of the second act is like him doing all these job stuffs, and then he re, uh, reconciles with Beverly. And then there's this incredibly uh, sharp turn, midpoint reversal, where the scientists come back into it, and they're like, "We have to laser you back to your planet." And well, suddenly, we're, we're dealing with like eldritch horrors, Lovecraftian horrors from beyond the stars. Yeah, I think that transitionary period is from when they arrive in the apartment then the midpoint of that is when they arrive at the lab 
and the scientist comes out and he's wrecked ah, and you can see eyes. the bad thing has happened. And then the end of the transition is the moment when Jeffrey Jones says, I'm not, I'm not him anymore. Yeah. yeah, right. And I would like say it's an entirely different film. And I would say, like, the end of the diner scene is the, like, once we're past the diner scene, we're then into the third act. And yeah, I think this has a very weak third act. Yeah. Well, and I think, because yeah. to me, like, the, the, what I like about the first half of it is that it's, it is not what you would expect from if you told me that the opening of the movie is about an alien who gets, like, drawn to Earth and, like, you're going to expect lots of sci fi shenanigans and nonsense. Yeah. And it's not. It's actually really kind of like work a day existential weirdness and funny it's kind of like there's like and i enjoy that because it's not what you expect and it's like halfway through it just kind of becomes this really generic feeling like it's it's not generic it's a film that is burdened by the necessity of having a plot exactly yeah if if the film had just been like a series of incidents and it was just howard kind of making his way through life in cleveland like italian neorealism there's a a picaresque version of this where yeah like you know after he gets fired from the uh the jacuzzi brothel that he works at he then gets some other demeaning job and like maybe he goes back with beverly and they try and work it out and then they break up and then they get back like there's like a rom-com version it's just my association with that word picaresque but now i'm imagining barry Lyndon, except a duck is playing the ryan o'neill part i I mean i I would even be okay with like if they if like howard became pi like he is in the comics like That, there's like something almost like a especially, agency. yeah like especially if it's like a work a day kind of boring pi work where he like spends most of or, his time or like, like the, the film ends with him becoming a pi and getting his pi license and the rest of the film is him <laughs> trying to get his license right like just like the, yeah howard the duck is really at his best when he's just like the the fact that he's a duck is just exposing the absurdity of something he never really works well like howard does not work well when he picks a fight with thanos because it's just like <laughs> Like it's it's like uh, what? But like when Howard's like oh. just sort of like doing goofy dumb stuff, it's fun. Prediction: I have another Avengers prediction. Hit it! You're I, one for one so far. Yes. So Howard the Duck will be the one to defeat Thanos. Oh he will, my! Oh no! It's gonna be. Will Spider-Man. he be the one? <laughs> it's gonna. You know, so it's, it's gonna be. All Spider-Man. seemed lost when Squirrel you know, Girl, already cast, so there's no Squirrel reason they couldn't have her suddenly show up in the new Avengers and. Captain America has been swayed to his side and is ready to burn the Earth down. Coward the Duck will come and knock out uh, Thanos. Mark nope. my words, the man so who predicted the uh, the end of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's got a record. He's a, he's a, he's a, a regular Chris Well over here. Yeah, yeah I'm a regular. <laughs> no Squirrel and Howard the Duck together. Who who was cast as Squirrel Girl? I'm looking it up right now because I'm a the Sprint Girl. Yeah, she's going to be. It's the New Warriors. It's going to be on Freeform. She's going to be the lead. Good for her. Yeah, yeah, she's good. She's a great. She's a great um, YouTube series called, or had a great YouTube series called Live Prude Girls, where where she and another comedian would uh, interview people. Yeah, it's going to be Squirrel Girl and the New Warriors, and um, Squirrel Girl is going to be sort of like the the lead because of all the New Warriors, she's. Obviously, the most popular. Yeah, there's not a deep, uh, also not the a deep bench there. The there's my Avengers. personal favorite, Night Thrasher, the Thrasher of the Night. Oh, that's what he does. <laughs> so it's not just a clever name. <laughs> or maybe he thrashes people um, with night. Yes. Oh. But back to Howard. Yeah, well, I, say yeah back to Howard. Yeah. The, the second half of this movie is so burdened by the, the 
need for plot because like it, it this just movie does not want a plot it almost sort of like actively reject it's like a yeah. it's like the plot is like a virus and the movie is like trying to reject <laughs> yeah the movie like, gets almost bad like the plot is a dark in. overlord that has inhabited so, the movie that is jeffrey yeah. jones because so, it is it is really so strange when is, they come in and are explaining it yeah uh, the movie begins with an unexplained event and then people come in to explain the event that you have stopped caring about 10 minutes into yeah. the film. No one cares why he got to Earth anymore. Like, if they never addressed it, no one would care. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. No, yeah. It's not, it's not a then, you know, they come in and, oh, we did it again, but this time we got an evil thing. So now the good thing has to kill the evil thing. Right. Mm. And, like, I don't care. Like, I... Yeah. I... You, you kind of nailed it, because, like, care how Howard got here. It's yeah. not relevant. I mean, you literally forget about the beam by the time they come back to explain the beam. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, just, and, the, just and the explanation makes no sense. There's like, we've got yeah. a laser and we're doing unauthorized wondering scans why of Alpha Centauri. Don't come with rappers back on Duckworld. <laughs> <laughs> That's an explanation I need. I need to know why that condom is unwrapped. We would have gotten that if we'd spent more time on Duckworld. You yes. know, like, I mean, obviously I don't know why Dude has a cat on his head or what caused the mid-act shift. But, I mean, I had, the, I had the theory when we did this first recording that they essentially just tacked Howard the Duck onto a pre-existing script, and I'm still not sure that's wrong, because it's really? such a first time. Do you think they had a pre-existing script where an alien came from space? Yeah. Or at, at the very least, like... Yeah, you, it you, you can, you'd you can be surprised how often it happens. You can draw this up and say, oh, okay, it's, uh, it's uh, eccentric... It's like specific to Howard the Duck. It's eccentric character who gets wrapped up with uh, all girl rock band and yeah. has to the manic de- pixie dream girl. Yeah, who has to defeat uh, defeat possessed scientist who's threatening manic to punky dream girl. Yeah, that's manic a, punky yeah. dream girl. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, like, like that. That's an easy, s- Patrick. I'm sorry. That's an easy script to write. Why haven't you written that script, Patrick? <laughs> yeah, just call it manic punky, punky dream girl. I, I would be a great name for a movie, actually. Um, no, the um, the, yeah, no, the I, I could totally see, and and this is all speculation. Obviously, I have no clue, but I could see like a world where like they just had another sort of like scientist, evil scientist plotline script. They had just like they were about to lose the option on, or like fuck it, let's use it anyway yeah, because yeah. it is. You know, the the second like the moment the, the Dark Overlord shows up, it really feels like a totally different movie. He literally gives us this massive info dump. Like it, it's just so it's just very like odd. It's a second exposition. Yeah. It really is. Like it, it does. It yeah, does but like, like it's it's much more actionable. Uh, exposition. The exposition we get at the beginning was in the beginning. There was Howard the Duck. That yeah. doesn't tell us anything. <laughs> Whereas he's like, beyond the stars, there are demons untold. Yes, we came, and we're going to eat your souls. It's all very lovely. I have nothing to add to that. I mean, that's what happened the last time I went to a diner. <laughs> I can't. I can't go to diners anymore. On a related note. Well, yeah, because there's, there's not enough <laughs> of them have every diner in my area. <laughs> I'm banned from every diner in Los Angeles, and let me tell you, there are a lot of goddamn diners out here. Are you not banned, as many as there used to be? I bet. This yeah, is a though. P. Sorry, this is a, sorry. I, I, I'm just noticing this is a PG movie. For some reason, I thought it was PG-13, 
But it's PG-13 PG. did not exist at this point. PG no, it's after, this is after... Um, or no, Temple of Doom is what got it created, right? Because it didn't exist for Pepper. Yeah, but like, the, like, the first one Rumble is Red Dawn. Like, uh, yeah. PG, I think, it takes a while to percolate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, really. pos- it's possible that duck tits don't trigger an R rating. I guess not. Yeah, I mean, PG-13 yeah, had been around for two years at this point. Um, the PG-13 yeah, was know. rated was rated was introduced in 1984. Um, the first film was Red Dawn. Uh, oh. Let's see. Then, yeah, rated then. Oh, that's also when I Spit on Your Grave there was a lawsuit because they felt like I Spit on Your Grave was not actually an R and they had lied about it. Oh. Hmm. Anyway, right. yes. Um, I do. Yeah, no, that is yeah, that is odd. Accent. Yeah, no, it's 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 a very <laughs> odd PG. Well, Planet of the Apes is rated G. You see Charlton Heston's ass in that. Yeah. Well, I, like a lot of a lot of older movies. Charlton ratings, Heston has a G-rated um, ass, and we all know it. <laughs> I mean, a lot of a lot of classic ratings. Also, that might have been a that might have been a retroactive rating. I don't know. Maybe. If, well, it's, uh, it's 68, so there would have, you know, the MPA had the rating system by that. Okay. Anyway, but like the G rating has shifted from like it used to be, you know, it went from being general audience to this movie is for kids only. Right. Like right. a G rated movie is not for any of us. If a movie comes out with a G rating, that is meant for four year olds. So it's well, like I mean, the Brad's movie. To be it's fair, not for it's you. not like. It's not like none of us won't go see a Pixar movie, and those are all G. But, but he, I know what you mean. I think a lot of those are PG, aren't they? Or maybe that, they are. Anyway, that was what so. I was just asking. Uh, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm looking the at the Incredibles right now. I will bet the Incredibles is a PG movie. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, all right. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah maybe, I mean, the guy maybe... gets sucked into a thing by his cape and dies. Right. Yeah, you see Spoiler charred right? corpses yeah. of Finding uh, Dory is PG. Yeah. Finding Dory. Come on. It's a I'm heartbreaking, pretty... tragic movie. Yeah, I think I think most the like, there there might be some G-rated Pixar movies, but I think a lot of them are. So I just are, checked on uh, Wikipedia. The Incredibles, not like those Cars movies; those yeah, are all rated R. The Red is G. The Incredibles was the first PG Pixar movie, but I can believe that there have been several since then. Yeah, I could see that. Toy anyway, Story Three must dark. be. I mean, that that fucking shit at the end is oh, yeah, scary dark. shit. Up should have been rated PG because it made everyone who watched it yeah. cry. Immediately. God, that's uh Jesus. I, I've seen I've seen uh Herzog films that were cheerier than up. God <laughs> I mean Disney movies get pretty they usually they often start out pretty dark or get yeah. pretty dark. I watched yeah. Gear of the Wrath of God about a month ago for the first time, and I think that was a cheerier movie than <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen Up, but it's just it's just that opening sequence, right? I don't remember the I rest mean, of it. I mean, but that hangs sad. over the rest of the film. The entire oh, film yeah. is about no, a I mean, man that is grieving a... for his dead wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, that, that sequence is, is you know, incredibly it effective. It just sticks yeah. a knife in you and twists. It's incredibly yeah. heartbreaking. Much like how... Oh, do they do that at your theater, too, uh, Patrick? What's up? You guys both have that one. Oh, what the duck? Oh, I mean, like, I get stabbed all the time when I'm in the movies. That's just Yeah, I mean, you do live in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's part yeah. of the, I mean, like, it's just part of the way you test to make sure that you can survive in this industry yeah. is that if you can't handle a few stabbings, you're not going to last here. Yeah, I mean, L.A. today is like what Cleveland was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have to hand-to-hand combat people just to get to the grocery store. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> I killed a man for Joe's last week. Uh, you, you, you may not want to say that on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's right. no law in Los Angeles anymore, boys. The law is on fire. Podcasts are not. The law is on fire out here, guys. I am blameless. Uh, We've been in purge rules for a week straight. Landscape. Right. So we all agree that the song at the end is amazing, right? It's a yeah, great yeah, song. It's a fantastic. I, it yes. I, I actually really like, like the music in this show. Uh, you know, the, the Bill and Ted, uh, uh, there must be other examples where at the end of a movie, like you can tell that everyone's triumphed because suddenly their band is doing well. <laughs> uh, that's like, a, that was a true. thing, wasn't it? Yep. I'm sure it was. I can't think of other examples, but yes, it feels, Just Bill it and Ted. feels very much like a thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, Saving Silverman. Suddenly there's a, there's a big musical number at the end of that. That's not an That's, 80s movie. You're right. Yeah. Oh, it does feel like an 80s movie. It's also Get out. I, mean, I seem to recall that 80s movies prefer to have those in the middle of their movies. See Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, that was the climax of their uh, their competition. Right. Yes. This is, that spiky-haired but, nerd played the electric violin. Right. This is, yes. I think this was around that time they the made their kind of rapey movie. scene. Yeah, that movie yes. that was before, it was after the rapey scene, wasn't it? I think it's around the I same don't know. time. That movie as the is rapey. really rapey in retrospect. That movie is so rapey. It Jesus is not Christ. A, it has not aged well, but John Goodman gives a great performance. No, he does. But that's that's also a bit like saying John you know, the sky blue this morning. Yeah, John Goodman uh, played the uh, he was like the jocks head coach. Yeah. Okay, I forgot. Yeah, okay, yeah. Here. This, so, this is in that period of his career, I guess, kind of pre Roseanne, where John yeah. Goodman was just sort of a character actor who popped up in things. Yeah, it's odd to think about, it, but yeah, he was a character it's actor. It's odd early to think on. about John Goodman in a pre famous state. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm mean, now that you mentioned it. Yeah, he was a he was a character actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Roseanne was. When did Roseanne start? Early nineties, maybe late eighties. Yeah. I mean, we were just yeah, about that they, point started getting being cognizant of like you know yeah. actors. Period. <laughs> ah, John Anyway, Howard the Duck. Yes. He died on the way back to his home planet. You started that, and I was terrified for a moment that John Goodman had died, and you were just announcing it. Don't do that. That was his revenge for your Carrie Fisher incident. <laughs> oh, you. Uh, Roseanne started in '88. Oh god, yeah, I would have been three. Yeah, I was two. I was two. Uh, or not even two yet. That's yeah. a cat. What what year did yeah, that's it start? What month that. did it start? Uh October. October eighteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Two days before I turned two. Yes. Yeah. I'm really glad we're talking about this instead of Howard the Duck. Wait, well, I mean, so Howard the Duck we came out of... like the month before you were born? Sorry. Or like a month and a half before you were born? No, no, we're talking about Roseanne now Roseanne, for some reason. Roseanne. Yeah, but I'm saying that Howard the Duck came out Two about an hour. before I was born. I've never yeah. lived in a Howard-free world. <laughs> uh, I mean, you were conceived in a Howard-free world, though. It's true, it's true. yeah. yeah. What, what is there to conception. say, though, further about it? Because like we, we do seem to all basically be in agreement that the first half of this movie... Is actually fun, and we're all enjoying ourselves. Yeah. It's just that when, like, when Jeffrey I, Jones shows up, it becomes a different and film. I, I, and I would, I would but say, I, I, I'm going to say, I don't, I don't hate the set, the the other film. It's I just, just don't. Dull. It's not. It's great. dull. It's yeah. dull. It's not great. Like, I, but I, I, I see potential there. Like, if it were its own mm-hmm. movie and it were developed and like you know made a bit more fun and campy and funny, 
And in but, retrospect, this film, compared to some of the other films we've watched since our initial viewing, this film shines. Yeah, oh, I oh, mean, yes. you, oh, you introduced God, this yes. film the first time as us starting at the bottom of the barrel. And no. that is oh, oh, totally man, that wrong. Barrel got so I was wrong. I was wrong. I did not see. <laughs> I, I was so far up in the barrel, I could not see the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> this is probably in, like, the the... The better half of the middle of the pack. It may be for the, Marvel it, movies. It may be the left side of the bell curve, but it's closer to the middle than it is the far end. Yeah, easily. Which is compared to some of the direct we've had to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I like re- regardless of of how we rank the two, I think we're I think we're in agreement that Elektra and Rise of the Silver Surfer are, if not the two worst, at least among the two worst. Maybe some of us might have some other ones we would throw in there. I remember no. Man Thing being pretty bad, and Thor: The Dark World maybe I, the ooh, is, is the other one. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly of the MCU movies, Thor: The Dark World is my least favorite. But even then, even then, I feel like it has its its problem is not so much it's terrible, it's just boring, which is in some ways worse. Well, I have a yeah. question. Are we going to have this exact conversation on every single episode of this podcast? Maybe. Because I feel like this is the second or third in a row where we t- start well, talking I, about how terrible Thor the Dark World It's was. really bad, though. I it's like a tasty one, so well, I mean, It's like, to. okay, so dude, what, what I'd compare it to is like, let's say you, you go out to a really nice restaurant and you've got like a 10-course a dinner in front of you. Yeah. And the third course just sucks. Like it's the worst thing it's you've ever had. It's and dick. Yeah, the rest, the rest of the meal. Like in course four, it might be much better. But you're still like, oh god, that that third course was really aftertaste. Yeah, the aftertaste Although, just kind of lingers. Also, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't like we've done this episode and then Guardians of the Galaxy? Wasn't Thor the Dark World the one before that? I think Winter Soldier was between the two. Maybe. Oh, okay. Cool. I was I was gonna say certainly the episode we watched. Days of Future Past. All right. Well, then, never mind. I was. Sure, the I was thinking. World sucks. I was thinking we were within three episodes. So just to say, do just think of the last three episodes we've talked about Thor: The Dark World. I'm pretty sure it's been at the very least valid during our episode <laughs> on Thor: The Dark World. It's such a terrible movie. It's, it's one of the worst. And I think. I think. Yeah, there have been four films since Thor: The Dark. World. One of okay, the least I, enjoyable. I reject our statement, but I do think. <laughs> I think at least in this context, maybe some of our other pilings on on some of these movies haven't really. Uh, been justified, but I think you know, going back to a movie no. that we that we started at, that we started with, and that we were, you know, we did not have our calibrations right on what would be bad Marvel movies. Uh, I think you know, getting getting retrospective, you know, which is what, one of the reasons why I think going back and looking at this movie again yeah. was was What's valuable been- to us. It, it was a good kind of. It's a good uh, level right. set. Let's let, 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 let's go a different way. What's been sort of the most pleasant surprise for you? Either a movie that, like, on watching it again, you're like, oh, this is a much better movie, or a movie you you hadn't seen before and were like, this is surprisingly I, okay. I have an answer for that, if good. I may. Sure. Can you go first? Um, I was happy to remember that the Daredevil director's cut was actually as decent as I remembered it. Because, like, I know yeah. everyone thinks I'm crazy when I say that. But like, I was happy that to get like independent confirmation from you guys. It's like, no, the the director's cut is actually a not terrible. It's actually I think a decent the, film. The director's cut was, film. yeah, that was the pleasant surprise. I, yeah, I no, I remember. Expectations. I remember thinking, there's no way that you yes. know changing a couple scenes of this movie is going to fix it. 
Uh, and yeah, you know, I and the thing that I think is the most impressive about the director's cut is it's not that huge a change. Couple like, scenes I don't, for context, but that makes yeah, a huge difference. It's not just, I think the biggest change is that they don't use any wipes or anything. That they're actual transitions between oh, scenes. Oh, right, I forgot about because that. Because yeah, they trimmed that. so many scenes yeah. that it, it makes the whole movie feel kind of like dreamlike or incomplete because it's incomplete. Uh, and I, my, the biggest like sort of visual impression that I got of uh, the director's cut is that there were like distinct hard edges at the end of scenes, and it, it felt more cohesive yeah. continuously. I had forgot. I had forgotten about the weird wipe thing that the nod director's cut was doing. Yeah. Yep. Any anyone else? Uh, I'm looking through the list of films. I mean, I, I think a lot of the X Men films ended up disappointing me more than anything else. Um, yeah, like even the I, ones that I like. I had high hopes for the Ghost Rider films, but those kind of left me left. I, 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 I really enjoyed the second Ghost Rider Spirit movie. Spirit of Vengeance I think. was oh, yeah. better than the first one, but it was still not good. The first, the first one's very boring. I think the first Fantastic Four film surprised me. Yeah, the first the first Fantastic Four movie and the, the first... Cor- uh, by, was... by, which, by which you mean the Corman film, right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, way yeah, more yeah, fun yeah, than I thought it was going to be. I had so much fun. honestly, the first Captain America movie, too, that we watched around the same time. The one we all hallucinated in the Red Skull playing piano on. And even the... Punisher, like that, that like first, yeah. the Dolph that Lundgren first, Punisher, yeah, Punisher? yeah, like that first, yeah, yeah. those were better that than first, I thought. That first push of movies, like they were all, like they all had a lot of like major issues, like, uh, like, but they were like the sort of things where like they're the kind of bad movie where like you could see with like just a little bit more work, you know, yeah. you fix this thing and suddenly it's a good movie. Uh, and yeah, like I feel like there was. I don't know if those were the next three that we watched after. Were, it was Howard uh, the Duck, the Punisher, Captain America, Fantastic Four. Yeah, and I thought, like you know, I thought I thought it was going to take a long time for us to find any movies that I found enjoyable. Like I thought it was going to be like, oh, this is going to be a long slog until we get to like Blade. Uh, I was and I was pleasantly surprised by those those three of the first four movies. And now I'm going to add Howard the Duck. In honestly. retrospect, watching it, all of watching those it a second fun. time. Uh, watching it again, I will watch Howard the Duck again. Before we watch Rise of the Silver Surfer. One of the things that I found interesting is, um, looking back on all this, how the Spider-Man movies and the X-Men movies did not hold up as well as I remembered them. Because I oh. remember going in, yeah. like, I know you guys you guys were kind of, I know a few people were, like, ready to be angry at it. And I was like, I remember these being fun. And then I watched them, and I'm like, I don't, it's not that they were bad, it's just I didn't not. They so were let, not let as me, good let me as ask this me. question. Hold on, because... I, I forgot how surprised I was by how much I liked Spider-Man Three. Fair enough. Yes, vindication. Yeah. Spider-Man Three is great. Let, let me ask this question though, because I think this is important in our understanding. The the four films that we've listed that we actually ended up enjoying: Howard the Duck, Punisher, Captain America, Fantastic Four, are objectively worse films. Than yeah, the, wise the Spider-Man films or the X-Men films, kind of from the early to mid two thousands. Why do we look back on these four films and say, "Ah, we enjoyed them. those are fun. I'd watch those again." Because they're, they're not all the same movie. bad, fun movies. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, wait, wait. Say that, say that again. They're, they're not all the same movie. Yeah. Honestly, Spider-Man. I'd say every Marvel fin film at its core. Is is kind of the same movie, like yeah, we, you like know, I, not, and you know, I, I, that's you know, hyperbole, obviously, but like, but no, I, just the plot, the plot beats have become so familiar. Yeah. Um, 
that and and just these early films they there there's something unexpected about them and and they seem sort of more heterogeneous i guess yeah yeah and i i think that's you know been been you know over the last couple of years uh there have been several uh superhero movies that i found like really dull for that very reason like i feel like the the genre tropes of the superhero movie and you know I, I think ideally the superhero movie shouldn't be a genre but i think a lot of movies go into it treating it like it's a genre yeah. mm-hmm. and like i think i've talked about this before but like that was i really liked wonder woman but one of my biggest complaints about wonder woman is that it's it's following that formula that too was, much that was yeah. the particularly at the very from. end where like there's the big superhero fight that there has yeah. to be at the end of a movie Wonder Woman yeah. would be a much better movie if there wasn't a supervillain. But Woman there has was, to be yeah. a supervillain because Woman that's was the best formula. When it was a when it was a kind of quirky, uh, I mean, maybe the best comp is something like I, I don't know. Um, it, it was a quirky romantic comedy between Gal Gadot and Chris uh, Chris Pine, and yeah. they yeah. were set against the backdrop for World War Two or World War One. And when uh, when you ended up with huge supervillain battle and devious World War One plot and all that stuff, it was significantly less enjoyable than it was yeah, just exactly. because, because I hadn't seen that before in the context of mm-hmm. a superhero film. Yeah, and I, I think, think you know, I actually if, get throw an idea message- here. I sorry, I was about to say I get throw an idea here because I think the reason in particular when we look back at X Men and Spider Man and they seem a little bit wanting is that. Because Derek, I think, hits the nail on the head when he talks about homogeneous, but we've also gotten, even if we're all making the same plot over and over again, we've gotten spectacularly good at it. Like, we have gotten this, nailed this to the ground. And when you look back at some of those early ones, they have that, those plot beats that we all are familiar with now, but they're just not up to the level of sophistication. It's not at the same point in the film. It's not paced the same way. It's not. Yeah, I think I think the right, tone like just... is also something that they've like perfected in a lot of ways. Like something like Thor: The Dark World is like it's very it's very much following that formula, but it like does it in like a very humorous buddy comedy rapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, you Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is there is still pretty much following the same beats, but it's put it in this like sort of spy thriller one. There isn't really that kind of inflection I feel in the Spider-Mans or the X-Men's of like the early 2000s where they're just kind of they yeah. feel kind of rote. And there are going yeah, to be Logan that they break out of that in the X-Men. Yeah, there are going to be seven Marvel films that come out next year. Black Panther, New Mutants, Infinity War, Deadpool 2, Ant-Man and Wasp, Venom, and X-Men Dark Phoenix. Seven Marvel films. Good God. And, like, may, like, New Mutants looks kind of interesting, and I'm sure Deadpool can do something kind of different, though maybe similar to the first Deadpool. They're all probably going to be kind of the same. Yeah. I mean, New Mutants yeah, probably, is, like, is going to be a horror film, Yeah, right? New Mutants looks interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, um, they're all two hundred million dollar productions. Yeah, you got to I mean, make your money back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got you got to keep it there. So yeah, I, mean, I think you know, going back to sort of the initial question of this of this part of the conversation, like what was it about those four movies? I mean, personally, I find I one of the most endearing things that a media text can do, be it a TV show or a uh, or a film or a video game, whatever, is uh, be too ambitious for its own good. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of ambition in Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, clearly somebody had an insane, ill-advised. By somebody, for you what mean George Lucas? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, 
And you know, I feel like a lot of a lot of the superhero movies kind of feel a little bit more soulless. They're just kind of you know, we're like, yeah, it's very much sort of this manufactured sort of thing. Whereas you know, the people making the Punisher, Roger Corman and the crew making uh, Fantastic Four, they didn't know exactly how to do this, and they didn't necessarily deliver the most coherent, cogent. Uh, storyline, but each of these but, movies hangs like, together this, like it's, a Da Vinci it's those, it's those flaws that make it interesting. It's like seeing yeah. seeing the cracks, seeing sort of yeah. I like seeing the lower budget. Seeing how the seeing how the sausage gets made before they figured out. Oh, this is how you make sausage. <laughs> I mean, in I what sausage is. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's yeah. A, a world like, where we're, we're grasping towards sausage. Yeah, we've got like here's some ground meat, here's some intestines, here's some thread. What do we fucking do with here it? Here are some shoelaces. Like, so do we need salt? Do we need spices? There, we don't know. T- tangent, uh, unnecessarily pedantic. There's there's a uh, podcast I listen to or uh, I'm listening to with Cynthia called The Adventure Zone. And uh-huh. it's the McElroy brothers and their father playing Dungeons. They and have Dragons a podcast. Together. I know they have a podcast, <laughs> but, they're uh, <laughs> but they're they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. And one of the characters' names uh, that uh, I think it's Justin McElroy is playing is Taco T A A K O. And the quest that he is on is to discover what tacos are. So he doesn't know what tacos are, but during the course of like these this sixty hour adventure, there will occasionally be a point where he discovers what like grinding meat is. And he doesn't know what he'd grind, but he understands what ground meat is now. And he's Do gradually other people putting know his... what tacos are. No one like, knows. No one no one knows in this fictional world. So he's trying to discover what a taco is. And that's what I feel I think that's what these Marvel films are at this point in the Howard the Duck face. They're trying to discover the taco and they don't yeah. do it for another all... fifteen years. Yeah. And also, I think I think part of it is also just sort of the weird sort of cheesy '80s charms of a lot of this oh, movie. Yeah. Like oh, the yeah. Punisher, the Punisher is an incredibly '80s action movie, and it's doing a lot of so super 80s. weird things, like shakes. The yeah. goddamn ah, Shakespearean. Oh my god, I'd forgotten about Shakespeare. Va- right. The uh, vagabond who is uh, Punisher's best friend for some reason. That's I, insane. I can report that Shakes has not appeared in it. the Punisher TV show so far. He hasn't shown up yet? Well, then nope, I'm never going to watch it. Yeah, what's the point? I'm like a couple episodes in. Uh, I've met I've met Micro, but I have yet to meet Shakes. But yeah, no, I think, you know, there's something there's something to be said for, you know, it's, it's the same kind of appeal of, you know, canon films. Like, they're insane and bad, but they're also insane and fun. Yeah. And I think, well, I I think, think the there's fun, a lot of insane fun things happening in fun, these sort of early movies think, where they, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. I think the thing of fun is kind of the key point there is that when they're in this sort of experimentation, what the hell is even a sausage? They're trying things. I'm so and glad that, we're going along with this that's, weird metaphor. That's the, uh, that's the subtitle for the iTunes release of this film. It's Howard the Duck <laughs> and then iTunes description. What, what is the sausage? Um, what even is a sausage? They, they, a don't sausage? Know, they don't know what they're doing, so when they fail, it's, it, it's failing in an interesting way. Yes. When I, when I, you and that's do, the that's the best thing a bad movie can do for me. Fail in an interesting way. The worst thing you do is these, fail in a boring way. But yes. Well, right, when these movies, other uh, movies, they're not doing as good a job, but they're kind of going off of the formula. They're failing, and they're and so it's just it's just boring. Like the the reason I I personally find Rise of the Silver Surfer the worst of all of them is that 
I was so incredibly so bored and just annoyed. Like I, I actually remember, like I, I, I almost, I've only, almost never walk out of movies. But when I get that impulse, it's because I feel like a movie is like wasting my time. Yeah. And like there's that feeling of boredom of like, I'm not even gonna see anything interesting. I don't care about anything. I just want to turn this off and go make myself a sandwich. Yeah. I don't know why it's always a sandwich. That's I. I saw someone on the internet it's describe the room as as if it were made by someone who has never seen a movie but has mm. had movies described to him. That's so he knows I, everything that a movie is supposed to be. He uh-huh. just doesn't have any experience. There, there was a great video that I was yeah. watching on YouTube the other day that was talking about the room and used it as an example in the same way. And it, it was the it did not look human or behave <laughs> human. Or exhibit signs of humanity, but it felt human by its earnestness. Yeah. Fun fact: in the in the Marvel universe, um, Tommy Wiseau is an alien who is on the run from the Guardians of the Galaxy. You don't, ha- you don't have to caveat that. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you know, I think that, that that idea of earnestness. I mean, I think, at least personally for me, the thing that makes a lot of bad movies really entertaining is that sense of bathos. That it's trying to do something like the people making this think that they're doing something great and they just do not have the the capacity to make it. But that's the thing, though. That's the thing. That's what I love. This is this is not some hack putting this together. It's fucking George Lucas. Yeah, but (laughs) that doesn't mean that he's holding that emotion in for doing more than once. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that that's that's what I like about Howard the Duck. But like a movie like The Room or a lot of the the mystery science theaters that Mm -hmm. I love the most are the ones where it's clear that some lunatic had this beautiful idea and they got $10,000 together and got there and sold their feed farm and just put the people in the car and made a movie. And that's how we get Manos the Hands of Fate. That's how we get Time Chasers. That's how we get Warrior of a Lost World. That's how we get uh, Alien from L.A., which is one of my favorites. God. Yeah. No, I mean, there's something earnest about this. Hillary Hillary said that uh, she felt like Howard the Duck was a a 10-year-old's view of sexuality. Like, a 10-year-old who feels out of place is this duck. And, like, he sort of knows things about the world. But, uh, and I, because Star Wars is such a simplistic presentation, and I know George Lucas did not write this film. Uh, or direct it, but it's hard for me not to just see it as part of George Lucas's ethos yeah. because he was so passionate about making it. Uh, that it just seems like he's a big child who really doesn't understand. He, he doesn't know how people talk. He doesn't understand what is realistic for how people interact. Uh, I see. I don't know though. Here, here's the thing. Um, go watch. Like, when was the last time you watched American Graffiti? I've only seen it once. And it was in college. I've never seen it. It, yeah, and, and it's it's a, a beautiful, like, pretty pretty realistic take on okay. what it is to be a, a teenager on the cusp of going to college. Yeah. Then maybe this divorce was so traumatic for him that he forgot, like, how yeah. to relate to other Although, people. I really, I really like this idea of uh, it being a 10-year-old's idea of sex because, like, so much of the weirdness of the sexuality of Howard the Duck is, mm-hmm. like, what I think, like, a 10-year-old... A 10-year-old kid who's frustrated by the 
fact that they're horny but don't understand what horniness yeah. is yet. Like they think that like being an adult, you're gonna have like a bunch of different girlfriends who are gonna be calling yeah. you and leaving weird, uh, weird voicemails. They think that yes, as an adult, I'll be carrying around loose condoms in uh, in my with wallet. no wrappers. Yeah, with no wrappers. They they and <laughs> if they jobless. and if they got into a sexual situation the way that Howard does, they immediately panic. The moment, yeah. the moment that like Leah Thompson's like, yeah, let's fuck. He is like, oh, whoa, whoa, what, not, what, 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 what? Let's not, let's not talk about a ten-year-old's view of sexuality I, in a film with Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, particularly oh, in this Hollywood current, the her, <laughs> the current <laughs> climate. I don't think that's, that's very good. Mm. I actually, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just save you with a, with a segue. I'm going to save everybody with a segue. When we were ten, I, I feel like that's about okay. that. Either. I'm going to save us all with a quick yeah. segue. So, first of all, I've just learned that Will- Willard Huck, the director of the movie, is actually married to Gloria Katz, the screenwriter. Yes, yes they are. But I've got this interesting quote that from her that I think is worthwhile. The, the comic book was originally intended to be existentialist. And according to Steve Gerber, the creator of Howard the Duck, the main joke is that there is no joke. That life's most serious moments and most incredibly dumb moments are only distinguishable, often, are often distinguishable only by a momentary point of view. This is diametrically opposed to, to screener Gloria Katz, who, in adapting the comic to the screen, declared, it's a film about a duck from outer space. It's not supposed to be an existential experience. Didn't, uh, yes. I think Esther and Stefan made the same point in the first yeah. episode. Yeah, Stefan, Stefan read that quote before, but I mean, it's, yeah. still, it's still relevant. Yeah, yeah. Yes. no, you are. It's, it's just funny that the, the way that Stefan laughed at it, it sounded like he was hearing it for the first time. But it has been. I mean, it, it was four years very, ago. Very long, long four years. Ago. Yeah, you know, I would I would not remember that quote if I had not listened to yeah. the to our episode like three hours ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did I was not listen. To, I have not listened to the episode since we recorded it and released it, so I didn't. Do this it. was the first time I've listened to an episode of our podcast. Wow! Wow! Well, now you can listen to the rest of them in order. Yep. You I started with number one. So I, I want to. I, mean, I say it will be interesting to discover what I thought about these movies as I go because I don't necessarily remember. So that yeah. that that brings us to to maybe my final question. Um, seeing as we are, and I shit you not, two and a half hours into recording. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we do. <laughs> we are double. We are double the length. Double of the length of the first of, of the first. The first one was an hour and fifteen minutes. We've doubled it. So um, holiday special, bitches. I was going to say, if, if we wanted to, to make the holiday special an annual tradition, is the annual tradition that we go back and retrospectively review episodes of the series in order? So next year, do we need to watch, uh, what is it, The Punisher? Is that the second film? I mean, we could do The Punisher. I, I would think, like I that think because I, I, would, I would like that specifically because I did not join the podcast until Fantastic Four. And I had already seen Captain America several times because it was one of the few videos at my local video store growing up, inexplicably. But I've never actually seen the 80s Punisher. So I would like an excuse right. to see it. All right. So in a year, we will uh, we'll rewatch the Don Grin Lou Gossett Jr. Punisher. All right. So, so this is going to be an annual tradition, and when we're 100, we'll be done. <laughs> this is a never. This is a uh, this is a tontine. You have to find someone to succeed you upon the event of your death. Reviewing these episodes. Uh, so I think, and remember, we could always dig into the TV shows if we were feeling real. Yeah, I mean, at some point, at some we'd point have to start with like do... the Spider-Man show from the seventies. At some point, we've got to do that Captain American serial. Here's the thing. So, did you say Captain American? 
Captain American. Captain uh, American cereal. So, so let's the Japanese Spider Man. Let's assume. Let's assume Super that we are. We're. We're. Um, because I think we're we're trying to be a little bit better about this. I know we've been inconsistent, but let's say we're moving at a roughly once once a month clip. Yeah, yes. so roughly um, what we try to do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There are twelve films currently out until we reach the end of Marvel Comics films. Now, by the time we finish those, there will be seven more left. And, and again, these, these will add. In the following but, year, there are six. Are, yep. Are so, we not including, we're not including the ones that are going to be coming out the next within the next year? That, that's, that's what I'm what saying. By, that's what I'm saying. By the time we're done oh, with see, those 12 films, there will be seven more. Yeah. So, okay. so if, at, if theoretically we got 12 done in the next year, we would be caught up seven with left. 2018. Yeah. Which, you know, we'll, we'll probably do more like, you know, nine or ten over the course of So, again... Yeah. We, we will approach a point probably in 2018, towards the end yes. of 2018, 2019, where we, we run out of films. Assuming that our society is still stable and exists. I'm ass- yeah, as Samuel L. Jackson said in The Avengers, until the world has ended, we will assume that it keeps on turning. Um, yes. <laughs> at that point, we'll need to figure out what, what is plan B. Like where do we go from there? Do, I mean, we, we could we could segue into DC movies. I I you know at the very least I would definitely like to watch uh, some of those made for TV movies. Yeah. We have to see the People versus Bruce Banner or whatever the fuck it's called. There are, there are actually, the trial of the it's, called the, intro- really it's called the trial of the Incredible Hulk. The People versus Bruce Banner some, is a better title. Mark actually <laughs> went through a series where it made some pretty incredible um, animated feature films that were only ever released to DVD. Oh yeah, they're that's true. Really good. Like yeah. they're they're fun. There's a there's a great one about young Thor and Loki. So there's yeah. actually a fun. And, and yeah, I mean, making, if we I'm and making, if we go into TV, there's a lot of options we could do. I mean, there's a I'm lot of like you know an executive TV, decision, guys. Yeah. I'm making an executive decision or follow up, uh, probably beginning in the year 2019. So good to plan ahead is going to be Marvel TV films. So here here's the lineup. We've got sure. the yeah. Spider-Man backdoor pilot for the uh, television series. We've got the Incredible Hulk backdoor pilot. Return of the Incredible Hulk. Doctor Strange. Captain America. Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. The Incredible Hulk Returns. The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. The Death of the Incredible Hulk. Generation X, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. All right. I mean, yeah, oh, that, we haven't done Nick Fury of Agent of Shield. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean that that, that should cover us for at least a year, and then you know we can figure out uh, after that. That's the Hasselhoff. No, wait, wait. Question. You yeah, said Zardu Hasselfrau. How many Hulk movies was that? Was that five, four, four, five? four okay. counting the pilot for the TV series? No, no, no five, five. I'm sorry, five, five. five. Incredible Hulk was the pilot. Return of the Incredible Hulk was uh, a second one, and then okay, shit. So there's the Incredible Hulk, Return of the Incredible Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. I feel like Hulk we're getting returns, lost in the weeds here. <laughs> the trial of the Incredible Hulk and the Death Eater. Okay, yeah, that, that, I wasn't clear. What you said them in such quick succession. I wasn't sure if the the Incredible Hulk returns. The trial of the Incredible Hulk might have been one title. So wait, you're telling me it's Return of the Incredible Hulk and then the Incredible Hulk returns? Oh Those gosh, should this be over? <laughs> never, never. Now tell me the names of the episodes of the Amer- Captain America. Oh, brain hurt. <laughs> the uh, names of the episode of the Captain America serial. Let's open that up. No, 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 we no, smash? Louie, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the green one. Fooey hungry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
Okay. Right. Uh, so, I'm, I'm just. I, I do want to read through these real quick because they are fantastic. Oh all right, uh, and then, then I will explain to our listeners how to tell Huey, Dewey, and Louie apart color-wise, <laughs> and then we'll be done. And then we'll be done. Uh, so the, the chapter titles of the Captain America... The Captain America serial, actually, should be the next thing we do after after the end of the series. Wow. Uh, Delicious cereal. Episode 1, The Purple Death. Episode 2, Mechanical <laughs> Executioner. Episode 3, The Scarlet Shroud. Episode 4, Preview of Murder. Episode 5, <laughs> Blade of Wrath. Episode 6, <laughs> Vault of Vengeance. Episode 7, so much better Wholesale than they Destruction. <laughs> Episode 8, Cremation in the Clouds. Episode <laughs> 9, Triple Tragedy. Episode 10, The Avenging Corpse. Episode 11, The Dead Man Returns. Episode 12, Horror on the Highway. Episode 13, Skyscraper Plunge. Episode 14, The Scarab Stripes. Episode 15, The Toll of Doom. I, there's a really missed I'm opportunity there with this. episode 4 preview of murder. <laughs> that episode 5 is about murder. murder. <laughs> Yeah, I really want to do these serials. Episodes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. credits of murder. Really have to do that I mean, I think at one point we suggested that as possibly what we're doing for this. Yeah, but, it's uh, each of these is between like fifteen minutes and a half an hour long, so it would have been. Yeah, so like we so could assume that we keep up our regular pattern of spending two to three times as long as the movie itself. Yeah, this will be a, a six to nine hour podcast. You said you said there were fifteen oh, episodes. God. Fifteen. Episodes. So like we we could like split it up into like. Five episodes, three parters. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like oh, watch, I think it'd be watch much better like, if we watch, watch an episode and then do a short podcast and then watch an episode uh, and do a short. Yeah, I mean, we can do that. Anyway, so Dewey, Dewey, and Louie. Dewey is blue, like dew. Louie is green, like a leaf. And Huey, there's no mnemonic for you. You just need to remember that the last one is red. That's how you remember <laughs> Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Good night, everybody. I, my favorite thing about Huey, Dewey, and Louie is that they all rhyme and none of them are spelled. Uh, as if they would yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which for like a non-English speaker must be yeah. like a mind-blowing moment the first time they yeah. hear them out loud. Yeah. Like if they've just been reading them and learned English. That or, is actually how most people learn English, is by reading Donald Duck comics. Uh, that, yeah. So how I learned English. We, we've, now, we've now come to the end of this uh, special uh, Cinema Excelsior holiday special. So we wish you all... A happy Merry, holidays. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Quasi Kwanzaa, a tip-top tet, and a solemn dignified Ramadan. Uh well, wait a minute. What about what about Yule? You need Yule in there. Yeah. For the, the pagans. Uh, and Rob What were you gonna say, Nick? And Robonica. 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 Yeah. Robonza. Dr. Robotica? Sure. <laughs> the, uh, the uh the robot Hanukkah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do tell us, Stefan, what will we be watching in the new year? So we will, uh, in the new year, we'll resume our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, The next film on our list, uh, as alluded to in the previous recording before we decided we were doing this, is uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, we've been looking forward to this one. Yep. Uh, It's not been. It's the one with the robots. (laughs) Yeah. Is what I meant to say. I mean, eh. I have a lot of thoughts on James Spader. I love James Spader. Good old Robert California. Yeah. He almost makes those last seasons of uh, The Office worth watching. Almost. Dewey's full name is Deuteronomy Duck. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen, please just end the podcast. Duck, what a silly name. (laughs)
What what about what about uh, Huey and uh, Louie? Do they have similarly ridiculous? No, Hubert and Louis. Oh, that's Deuteronomus and Hubert Deuteronomy and Louis. Deuteronomy. All right. Fooey duck. Fooey. Deuteronomy boot beats Truman. <laughs> Deuteronomy beats Truman. 